2: Dominic Jimenez, filling in for Rick Tittle. Today, I have a lot of guests. Welcome in. Dominic Jimenez, uh, as I said, I'm in for Rick Tittle. And today we have a Rick Tittle-sized titillating sports coming up after the break. Joined by professional bowler, Packy Hanrahan. That's right. His name is, it's actually Patrick, but pretty much everyone calls him Packy. Packy Hanrahan. He'll join me, Pro Bowler. He'll be part of the PBA Tour Finals that we talked with EJ Tackett about yesterday. Uh, in about half an hour, Karen Lyle and Patty Mangan of Salesport Talk. In one hour, best-selling author Gracie Kim will join me to talk about the final installment of her Gifted Clans saga. The Last Fallen Realm. Uh, at 40 after in the next hour, I'll be joined by prolific TV producer and award winner Arthur Smith. He's got a new book about his crazy career. Uh, He's only produced some shows you might have heard of. American Ninja Warrior. The Olympics. Hell's Kitchen. I think he's done alright for himself. And in the third hour, 10 after, we'll get with somebody from Pro Wagering uh, to talk wagering and sports. And 40 after in the third hour, he's got to keep up with EJ Tackett. Kyle Troop making what I believe is his fifth appearance on the show. Pro Bowler, big afro, flamboyant colored outfits. We love Kyle Troop. He's also one of the eight players in the Tour Finals. Watch, I'm going to end up interviewing like three or four guys this week that are participating in the Tour Finals, and somebody I don't talk to is going to win. And actually, I'm I'm looking at the the list of competitors I've interviewed. EJ, Dom Barrett, Chris Prather, and I'll have had Packy Hanrahan and Kyle Troop. So I've interviewed five guys. We'll see if one of them can manage to win. So coming up, Packy Hanrahan, Sports My Line, USA.
3: Remember in the beginning when you first started to build a life for you and your family? You never imagined it would come to this. Instead of living your dreams, you're living with debt. In fact, it's smothering you.
5: you're listening to dominic jimenez on sports byline usa
2: welcome back into the show as you know i've said it many times over the years i'm a bowler i am a big fan of watching bowling and i've had the opportunity to interview some of the greatest names in professional bowling of the last 10 to 20 years. One person I have yet to speak with, I'm going to rectify that right now, and that's because I'd like to welcome in my guest, Packy Hanrahan, pro bowler, two PBA Tour titles, both of them this season. He's also a two-time Elias Cup winner in the PBA League with the Portland Lumberjacks. And Packy is joining me because he'll be competing in the PBA Tour Finals Friday, June 23rd to Sunday, June 25th in Arlington, Washington. The top eight players in terms of points over the last two seasons get to participate, and Packy will be making his first Tour Finals appearance. Pro-Am on Thursday, a practice of meet and greet on Friday, position round on Saturday, and the stepladder finals on Sunday. Tickets available at PBA.com. Packy, welcome to the show What does it feel like knowing that you've bowled well enough over the last two years to be able to compete in a very exclusive tournament, which is literally the eight best bowlers over the last two years? Uh,
6: It feels great. It feels great, yeah. I mean, just knowing that I've been able to get into that top eight uh, really would kind of took me by surprise with like two, uh, two tournaments left.
2: All right, and uh, you know you've won your first two titles this season. What did that mean to you in terms of kind of validation as a pro? Because, yeah, you can be very good. You can be, you know, top ten finish here and there. But I think there's something different in terms of just that mental validation of, you know, I can go out and win on this tour.
6: Uh, yeah, it's um, it's a crazy feeling to just know that you work all those years, hours, countless, countless, countless hours um, to try and win. And it's almost, you know, it's almost that crazy mindset of I'm going to put in a ridiculous amount of hours for the hope that something can happen, um, where you put in all that. And then it finally does happen and it hits you. Um, and it might not ever really hit you like I i couldn't really believe it. And it slowly started to settle in. And, um, yeah, it was just really, really special to... To be able to win and know that, hey, I, yes, I can bowl well in these tournaments. Yes, I can make TV shows. But on top of that, I can also call myself a champion at the end of the day.
2: And one of the things that I've I've enjoyed getting the different takes from the bowlers over the last few years is how they kind of handled the pandemic because most of the the people I've spoken with were well into their careers. They were able to do this or that. The pandemic hit pretty early on in your pro career. How did you kind of navigate that weird time for you where there's – I know the PBA was actually one of the first leagues to come back, but for a brief period of time, what was that like trying to navigate it early on in your pro career?
6: Yeah, actually, uh, it was really the first time that I had not practiced every day um, for since I went to college, where I was practicing five, six days a week in bowling tournaments on the weekends. If I had a tournament Saturday and not on Sunday, I'd practice on Sunday when I got back. Um, and I actually started up a YouTube channel, mm-hmm. um, which I also think kind of helped. We did some coaching, me and a group of my friends, and then slowly... We stopped doing coaching and it turned into um, a channel that I ran and we did some ball reviews and stuff like that. And having that ability to make bowling a little more fun for the viewers and kind of relieve some of the potential stress, the financial stress that would have come with being a bowler during the pandemic, all of that kind of stuff, um, definitely helped me out a bunch as well as almost like a mental and physical reset of my game. Um, which was cool, especially after all those times that I'm not, I'm not gonna lie to you. I did have plenty of practice sessions outdoors, um, in my yard with either some bowling balls or some different tools that a couple of my friends make, but, uh, it was, it was a nice reset and, you know, to the body where I I didn't practice. And then on top of that, finding other sources of income was huge for me.
2: You mentioned uh, your college days. You walked on at Wichita State. Now, to the listeners who don't know, that's basically like walking on as a football player at Alabama. Uh, Wichita State, one of the premier powerhouses in college bowling. What was that experience like walking on successfully? I you know it took you a year to get onto the main squad, but you were there for multiple years after that. What was that experience like for you?
6: Yeah, kind of. Uh, not. I mean, I'm definitely going to sell sell myself probably right on spot. Hopefully, um, it was it was a little bit like the, Rudy, the movie Rudy, uh, where okay. I you know I walked on like you said and made the JV team or in the Alabama football or the Notre Dame football world, I made the practice squad essentially, and then year two I made the the larger team. I bowled a couple tournaments. I think it was like two or three, but you know the entire second half of the year i didn't um year three was the same and my final year was also really the same and then uh we had a kid that didn't quite make grades for nationals so i actually was the eighth man selected up and i bowled like every frame of the national competition which was um almost surreal in itself and i thought that would be one of the highlights of my career um because you know if i'm if I'm bowling on the best college team, yeah, those kids are amazing. But, um, if I'm not as good as those kids, how am I going to be, how am I going to beat the best players in the world? Mm-hmm. Um, and then I was bowling really well at some amateur events in the off season and decided after that, just, um, my parents told me they'd help me out financially to pay for it. And, uh, just see they, they told me that they rather would see me at, you know, 25, 26 saying, Oh, like, you know, I I went on tour, but I couldn't quite make it. Then being twenty five, twenty six, and saying, "Oh, I wish I would have tried."
7: Ah,
2: I love that. That's uh, one of those nothing ventured, nothing gained kind of things. We're speaking with Packy Hanrahan, pro bowler, two PBA Tour titles. He'll be participating for the first time in his career in the PBA Tour Finals, June twenty third to Sunday, June twenty fifth, in Arlington, Washington. Only the top eight bowlers get to participate in that. A couple more questions here for Packy. Uh, tell me a little bit about the transition. Cause you, you know, you were a state champion in high school, to not getting a lot of run in college and then when you did go pro you had you had some struggles early on and then as we talked about the pandemic hit so how did how have you able been been able to bounce back from going from the highs of high with state championship in high school to uncertainty in college and early on in your tour uh career to where you are now one of the top eight bowlers over the last two seasons getting to bowl in the pba tour finals
6: yeah it's it's crazy and uh I've always just looked around and thought that there were other, pe- other people better than me and kind of used that as motivation. Um, and on top of that, just use those people as a resource um, for information, for help, uh, knowing that I would help anybody, hoping that they would also help me too. Um, yes, I was a state champion in high school. Uh, however, I knew that Connecticut High School Bowling wasn't even close to as good as other high school bowling around the country. I know it was kind of in the in the beginning stages where I was the best average on my team with, like, a 195. Um, And that was best average in my league by quite a bit. Mm -hmm. So I I knew that it wasn't like I was the state championship, you know, captain of this powerhouse team. It was, you know, a powerhouse team in the worst one of the worst bowling states, I feel like, just in terms of, like, the competition. So I knew going to Wichita that it wasn't going to be great um, in terms of, like, I'm not going to go there and be one of the best players. I'm not even going to make the team, and I knew that going in. But just using those people and always choosing to go to the best places, knowing that, it hey, it, it doesn't really matter for me if I i don't want to ever be the best player because then I feel like I'm in the wrong place um, where I can, I'd rather chase it and say, okay, how good can I get? I'm not going to get very good if I'm the best player there because I can't learn a lot whereas if I'm one of the worst players there, how much how much more can I learn? I know I'm going to be able to put in the hours and put in the work, but how much more can I learn and how good can I get? Uh, and I didn't know if I'd ever make the team at Wichita State. I didn't know if I'd ever bowl a single tournament with a jersey on. Um, but I knew that I'd get way better there than I would anywhere else in the country. And then going to the PBA Tour was just one of those things like, oh, let's try it out again. Maybe my first year, maybe I don't cash once. Maybe my second year, I start to cash a little bit. And then my third year, um, we'll see if I can actually, actually do this thing. So just kind of taking a very like realistic mindset of, Hey, I know I'm not the best, but use that and use those people that you use those people around you that are your friends that are much better than you to help you get better. Um, and that kind of mindset I've always used still to this day, even being in the top eight, the tour finals coming up in Seattle in a couple of weeks. Um, or just south of Seattle in a couple weeks, I I know that there's still people better than me, and I I'm going to use it. I'm going to use it to my advantage, trying to uh, outwork them and maybe not outsmart them, but get as much help from the people that I know that I know are much smarter and know a lot more than me. Um, just get all the help I can and see how good I can get. Still, obviously, there's always room to grow, no matter what sport, no matter what job you have, you can always be a little better at it. And I've just kind of stuck with that mindset.
2: There he is, the very grounded and humble, and uh, you can as you can tell very intelligent Packy Hanrahan. He's also a pretty darn good bowler. Two PBA Tour titles, both of them have come this season. He'll be making his first Tour Finals appearance, as he said, just south of Seattle in Arlington, Washington, June 23rd to June 25th. And again, Packy, one of the top eight players in terms of points. There'll be a meet-and-greet, a pro-am, positioning round, and step ladder finals. And if you're in the area, tickets are available at PBA.com. Packy, thanks so much for taking some time and joining me today. It was a pleasure
6: having you on. Yeah, I appreciate it so much. Thank you.
2: I'm Dominic Jimenez. This is Titter Sports on the Sports Byline USA Broadcast Network.
1: computer crashed? Then you need an ARW home warranty. Home system and appliance repairs and replacements can cause stress and cost you thousands of dollars per year. With an A-plus BBB rating and a top-rated home warranty company on Consumer Affairs and Trust Pilot, ARW Home provides superior service, featuring the industry's lowest service call fee. That's 800-867-6917.
0: President Biden recently released a massive $6 trillion budget, the largest budget in U.S. history. And guess who pays the bill? That's right, you, the American taxpayer. American citizens and business owners will be paying more taxes. That's a fact. And if you owe back taxes, they will be coming after you to collect payments. In fact, President Biden also hired thousands more IRS agents to go after you.
1: That's 800-949-0039. Paid for by the Tax Helpline.
5: You're listening to Dominic Jimenez on Sports Byline USA.
2: All right, welcome back to the show. Coming up in the next segment, we'll have Salesport Talk with Patty Mangan and Karen Lyle talking sailing until then you can give me a call because i've got open lines 1-800-878-PLAY 1-800-878-7529 is the number to get in and get heard as rick likes to say all right it's uh it, it you know it's funny it's it's a weird time of the year so when i when i get told hey you're filling in for rick i'm like all right cool uh oh man are you doing The NBA Finals have a weird schedule. They're playing like once, twice a week. NHL Finals are pretty similar. Baseball's, it's June. How excited are we about baseball in, in terms of the importance of every single game? We're not there yet. And then every now and then something will happen. And it's absolutely worth talking about. Buckle up because this is a big one. The PGA Tour... Live Golf and the DP World Tour have announced a merger to quote unify the game of golf. The PGA Tour, DP World Tour, and Saudi Arabia's public investment fund have agreed to a merger that will see Live Golf combined with the other tours in what is being described as a new collectively owned for profit entity to ensure that all stakeholders benefit from a model that delivers maximum maximum excitement and competition among the game's best players. A board of directors will be appointed to manage the commercial golf business with the PGA Tour, appointing a majority of the members and holding a majority voting interest. Wow! It let, there's a few things to unpack here. The first, if I'm a player on the PGA Tour that turned down the... Um, Saudi money for the Live Golf Tour on the principle of being loyal to the PGA Tour. I am livid right now, and I'm probably really regretting my decision. Because those players got the big payday from Live Golf, and now they're clearly going to be welcomed back on the PGA Tour because they merged. I mean, I understand the players that weren't all that great. I mean, all these golfers are very, very excellent golfers, but not, you know, top 20 in the world. The You know, the 50 to 200, those kind of guys that took the Saudi money for live golf. I get it. That's more money than you're probably going to make in your career on tour. That's valid. I get it. But the ones that didn't, that are in that same zone, the same ranking, you've got to... Be kicking yourself right now, because for, wh- for whatever your holdup was, it it's it doesn't matter anymore. If it was a morality thing, if it was a loyalty thing, it doesn't matter because the new golf entity you're part of the BGA Tour, and ta da, they've merged with Live Golf. It'd be like if if a UFC fighter had a a huge offer from WWE. Two different sports, I understand. But they're the same world, at least. If you got a huge offer and you're like, no, I'm loyal to Dana White and UFC, no, I'm staying here. And then the two companies merge. That's got to suck to be you. And I think that's where a lot of these golfers are at right now. And also, if you're a PGA Tour golfer, how frustrated, sickened, disgusted, whatever... Word you want to use? What negative feeling are you feeling right now, knowing that the PGA Tour and the higher ups were, oh, the, talking so much junk about the players who went for the money to play for Live Golf? Oh, they were in it for the cash grab. Oh, they're that's dirty money. That's you can't do that. Oh, you should. Oh, that's an embarrassment. And then the same people who were criticizing those golfers, making a business decision for them and their families, team up and are now lying in the same bed as that same group that was just so nefarious a year ago. It's a joke. And again, if I'm a PGA Tour member, and I've, I've heard everything the PGA has said. I've heard what the PGA Tour golfers have said about loyalty and not selling out. Well, guess what? Your company, in in their own words, based on how they've described these other companies, these other golf tours, the company you have this brand loyalty to, just sold out. I'd be so mad. You know who's probably... Chuckling it up right now Is Phil Mickelson Phil Mickelson <laughs> Participates in Live Golf He's Part of Live Golf He's Still playing the majors on the PGA He's been very vocal About how The relationship between Him and the PGA Tour And how it is It's not a very good relationship anymore He has got to be chuckling chuckling it up in his palatial estate. I assume Phil Mickelson has a palatial estate. Phil Mickelson has a lot of money. And it's hilarious. Here's some quotes from uh, some of the articles that have come out uh, about this. The group claims the move is being made to unify the game of golf on a global basis with a plan to grow these combined commercial businesses drive greater fan engagement and accelerate growth initiatives already underway furthermore the tours will work together to best feature and grow team golf going forward so all of the PGA tour purists who didn't like the idea of live golf and with teams and everything guess what sounds like might be part of the PGA tour in some capacity moving forward team golf novel concept uh yeah. it's i i wonder the the people who were purists and were like die hard loyal i'm not just the players or the higher ups and the board of directors but i'm talking about fans too how they feel about it because if they, if they've listened to exclusively what the PGA tour has said they think live golf is evil and is horrible and is ruining the sport and now that the companies are and the tours are working together, they may not know how to feel. Are they mad? Are they grossed out? Are they jaded? I I don't know. But some of the play, here's some of the players who are uh, part of Live Golf: Brooks Kepka, Dustin Johnson, Phil Mickelson, Sergio Garcia, Bryson DeChambeau, Cameron Smith, Joaquin Neiman. The PGA Tour revoked their ability to play in its league as a uh, middle finger to them for abandoning them for live golf. And then, and you know, we've seen bits and pieces of the PGA Tour realizing not that they completely screwed up, but that they may have whiffed a little bit in the sense that they've raised their prize fund a lot for their tournaments. Since Live Golf was created, they realize that while they may not agree on a fundamental basis with Live Golf, that there are elements and things that Live Golf is doing that is conducive to a happier tour. And the PGA has. They've molded some of their decision making based on what Live Golf has done. I'm just saying, is. I think this is the best thing that could have happened for sports because while Live Golf has some great players and they have the money backing them to be exciting, their TV deal in the United States, at least, is whack. And nobody's watching it because they don't know where to find it. That's the problem. Now, you put it with the infrastructure the PGA Tour already has. You don't have to hear stories about infighting between the two tours. I think this is good for golf. Maybe not for the PGA Tour purist, but good for golf. All right, coming up next, heading out onto the water, salesport talk with Karen Lyle and Patty Mangan. I'm Dominic Mendez. This is Any Sports.
8: This is Karen Lyle of Salesport Talk with an update on Captain Kurt Boatger, one of our first guests at Salesport Talk in 2019. At the time, he was the captain of the BAP Union, which is a Peruvian naval tall ship that belongs to the Peruvian Navy. This interview was done when he was coming into San Francisco for the first time with this beautiful four-masted tall ship. He is now a rear admiral in the Peruvian Navy.
9: Yes, uh, good morning Karen. As you said, I'm the captain of the uh, VIP Union and VIP stands for Peruvian Navy ship. Uh, it's a uh, Peru's tall ship and it's a, it's a training ship for, for the Peruvian Naval Academy. Yes, it's a four-masted bark. <laughs> so it's 115 uh, meters uh, in length. It has a sail area of 3,400 square meters. In 34 sails. It has uh, two parallel but complementary missions. We train uh, our, the f- our future officers in the arts of uh, seafaring. We have 100, 113 cadets plus the regular crew, officers, guests. We are right now in a total of 250 uh, people on board
8: that's quite a sizable adventure
9: it is
8: (laughs) (laughs) where are these cadets going to go after they leave here the
9: the naval academy gives them also besides their commissioning they they have to finish their their degree it's uh, like a university degree so it's a a five-year career the cruise is considered an academic term so they have to they do have uh, credits to finish while on board Besides doing their their, their their maneuvers and standing watches, uh, etc., some of them will choose probably naval aviation. Others will uh, others will go to to the marines. Others will go even to the coast guard. Different di- different options and array of uh, of career path that that the navy has. Part of the mission of the of the ship is to to visit and carry a goodwill message across the globe. I say that visibility that a tall ship gives is uh, a great way of, of transmitting to people, the places we visit, uh, what Peru is. We are very proud of our ship. We are very proud of, uh, of what we can offer, and we want to share it. And we want, uh, we want uh, as many people to visit us as, as, as possible. So we look forward to, to visit every possible country.
8: Well, it's such a pleasure to have you and your ship and all of the people who've traveled with you on this voyage here in San Francisco.
2: All right, Welcome back to the show, Dominic Jimenez. You hear the music, you see the time, and it is time for Salesport Talk and Salesport Working to get Patty Mangan, but I am joined at the moment by Karen Lyle. Karen, how are you doing today?
8: I am doing just fantastic, Dominic, and it's always a pleasure to talk to you. I get to talk to you behind the scenes there in the studio every week and every once in a while you get to come out and tell us about what's on your mind, which I enjoy.
2: Very true. And uh, you know what, Karen? I'm looking at the sheet, and we're talking a little about uh, Vita in Peru and the Ya opening day on the SF Bay. Uh, I'm going to toss this over to you, and I'm going to try to find uh, Patty and get her on with you. So, Karen, take it away.
8: Certainly. So, actually, I was remembering... The tall ship, the naval tall ship that was about 375 feet long, that came in under the San Francisco Bay in May of 2019, and this was incredible because this tall ship, there were on the yardarms, which are which are the, um, the 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 where the sails drop down, people can actually stand on them they, in the old school style. The sailors go up on those yard arms and they lash the sails when they're putting them up and release them when they're putting them down. And this has four masts. And under the San Francisco Bay Bridge, there were 75 cadets standing on the yard arms as the tall ship came through the San Francisco um, underneath the Golden Gate Bridge on the San Francisco Bay. And it was just pretty incredible to have that sight. And also, it was the first time that this particular ship, which was made... Uh, about five years previous to the time it came here to San Francisco, had come to the San Francisco Bay Area. And the way it works is there are these naval tall ships that some of them are very old and some of them are new, like this particular one, that are diplomatic vessels that go out on these diplomatic voyages visiting different countries and cities and establishing, well, keeping alive the diplomatic relationships with countries but they're also owned by the navies of the different countries and these particular um, boats are when you're actually when you step aboard you're stepping aboard the country it's like going into the embassy so you're actually there inside the country when you're on their boat and it belongs to the navy they oftentimes have training programs for the cadets who are serving on board, and for the BAP Union, Captain Kurt Boatgore was the the captain that I was introduced to. This was very new in the show of Salesforce Talk, and it began a relationship and a friendship that we've had since then. He's now a rear admiral in the Peruvian Navy, um, located, I guess he's stationed in Peru at this time. But basically, these cadets are in the university, and so they're learning and studying in school as they're traveling on this tall ship around the world, and they have an opportunity to learn not only about different cultures but about the seafaring life of the olden days because this is like a tall ship that you know, is, is you know, run just by sail. They usually do have motors these days because they go into marinas and have those requirements. Uh, for maneuvering into and amongst all of the the other vessels in the San Francisco Bay and other ports that they go to, but you know it's just really quite an incredible experience to be able to have um, this um, you know uh, to meet uh, the the captains and the ambassadors and the naval attachés from the different tall ships. In fact, I was just having a conversation with um, Allison Healy, who is the Commodore for the International Yachting Fellowship of Rotarians. And she has... Um, uh, she met her now husband, uh, Luis Martinez, who was on the Naval Tall Ship, which was for the the country of Mexico. And she was um, a diplomat here on behalf of a nonprofit organization welcoming tall ships that are coming from different countries to the San Francisco Bay Area, and she went on a particular trip and voyage, this was several years ago, and she had an opportunity to meet uh, one of the people who was serving on that, and later, you know, they became married and they live now here in Sausalito in the San Francisco Bay Area. Hey, Karen, Go I'm going to
2: step in for one second. Just second. You're listening yes. to Sport Talk uh, on Sports Byline USA Broadcast Network. I'm joined by Karen Lyle. You've been listening to him. I'm also now joined by Patty Mangan. So, Karen, please continue.
8: Oh, hi, Patty. How are you doing?
10: I'm great. I don't know. Sorry about the phone. How you doing, Karen?
8: No, we've been just talking, actually, about the BAP Union um, tall ship from Peru that came up to San Francisco in 2019. And as you know, we kept that friendship alive and and um, connected with them during the pandemic and with uh, Captain Kurt Bulker when he became Rear Admiral Kurt booker of the Peruvian Navy. But speaking of Peru, and you didn't know I was going to ask you this question – you are associated with an organization, organization called VITA. Can you just tell us for a moment about what that organization is? Because I wanted to, um, you know, tie into the the Peruvian conversation I was having while we were waiting for you to come um, onto the show.
10: Sure. Uh, VITA USA is over in Berkeley. And what we do is, uh, I'm on the board there, we collect medical supplies from all of the hospitals in the Bay Area and Northern California Um, and uh, this is they'll let us know that they have materials they'll have equipment that needs to be picked up we have a large truck and then we go around pick those up that comes back to the warehouse gets sorted and then um, it's send off in shipping containers large shipping containers and packed off to uh, one of our major ports of course is Lima and then um, from there if it gets a container gets to Lima it goes to our Vida Peru uh, warehouse where then it is uh, disseminated throughout 96 different micro clinics in the country Um but we also we serve the West Coast of Central America and South America where we have relationships with um other nonprofits that accept the containers and then make sure that the materials get out to the hospitals in need so in a given year we will ship anywhere from seventy five to ninety shipping containers of don donated medical supplies well,
8: and it 's a marvelous effort I wanted to to share that with our listeners just because there are there are many who are concerned about um, South america and and about um, the mission that Vita has. You know you um, are also a past commodore of the Pacific Interclub Club yacht Association. And during the pandemic, when we were in the lockdown, um, that was in 2000 and I believe it was 2000, 2021, February 18th, you had the opportunity to speak on behalf of PICYA for a special postal cancellation in celebration of the Peruvian Bicentennial at which the um, then Consul General of Peru Hernando uh, Torres Fernandez was a speaker, and then also arranged to have fifty sailboats and powerboats sailing around Treasure Island. And recently, the PICY had their opening day on the bay, and your boat, the one that you were on, won an award.
10: Can you tell us about that award and what opening day was like? Um, absolutely. So, opening day is a a, a, a ritual, like all uh, the other sports have rituals. We um have been celebrating, um, as far as I know, back at about 1886, uh, the opening of, it was up on the San Rafael Canal area originally, where there was a drawbridge and it would get lifted and all the boats could come out. But now it's a bay area wide. And um, there's a, an organized parade with typically 100 boats in it. And there's always a different theme, and this year's theme was uh, Broadway on the Bay. So this the themes um, help the uh, yacht clubs mostly um, enter the parade in in a decorated fashion. So um, and because Broadway on the Bay is such a nice broad uh, theme, <laughs> um, very broad. <laughs> You get all kinds of wonderful entries um we've been uh for south uh i'm a member over at uh, south beach yacht club in san francisco next to oracle uh ballpark and um our committee boat annabelle um is a 34 foot uh trawler and uh we get her decorated up every year and so um our beloved Wendy Hanrahan came up with um uh the chorus line and uh organized that everyone had um glittery jackets on silver glittery jackets top hats organized uh, a little choreographed um routine on top deck, which is not easy to do. It is not easy to dance while a boat is moving <laughs> that's true
8: um, How, what what
10: were the what was
8: the uh, or the wave heights when you were trying to do that?
10: Oh my gosh, the wind and the waves were just thrashing this year. Um, it was a workout just just um, hanging out, getting the boats all lined up. You have to wait a while. You have to wait for your turn, and uh, and everybody parades by a big, big. Uh, the, what is it? The Cabernet, I think. The Cabernet, um, the Cabernet Sauvignon. Uh, it, right, it, it, the, the you know, Commodores. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Two hundred people are on that boat, and they're all watching the parade, as well as everybody on the waterline. And uh, and as we went by, we you know did the whole routine and sang out the song as loud as we could. And um, yeah, we won best uh, overall for the entire uh, uh, event. And uh, uh, and we're used to placing first, second, or third, but this is a Big win overall. Best uh, entry.
8: Well, I think all the sailors aboard the um, the, the 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 Commodore uh, series. Uh, I guess the Commodore is the, the company that owns the the community boat. Uh, if I recall correctly, uh, we're we're looking at you and thinking, "Oh my gosh!" They're standing upright in those waves. <laughs> <laughs> no, did you did you get or... your kick going? Were you did you kick? on either side and get that little, um, you know, <laughs> chorus line kick.
10: It was all arm movements because, uh, uh, you just cannot, um, in a nice calm day, you know, you, it takes a lot of your, uh, leg, uh, muscles to balance on top of a, you know, on a, on a second deck of a boat that is moving through the water. Um, so it was real choppy, real windy, and uh, we we actually abandoned the big red curtain that had been um, set up behind us for for um, for that Nashville uh, effect, um, and uh, just abandoned it. Uh, the wind was just shredding things. So um, no, it was uh, it was it was interlocked arms, uh, one arm interlocked, and then the other one with a. A, a hat, and then it was a really great routine with the hat going up and out. And down. Oh, I and love it, Teddy,
8: And you know, it's such. I'm so. I'm so glad to be able to talk to you about that, and um, and come back again to the Pacific Interclub Association's Association uh, opening day on the Bay. This is Karen Lyle of Salesport Talk, and so happy to have all of you listeners with us every week, listening on Tuesdays wherever you are in the world. Uh, on the American Forces Network, on TuneIn um, Tune Radio, and um, uh, iHeartRadio, 700 radio stations around the world. It's great to have you. Thank you so much.
2: Karen is coming from my job, wrapping it flawlessly, heading to break there. Salesport Talk. Karen and Patty, thank you so much. We'll talk to you next week.
8: Thank okay, you, Dominic.
2: Dominic. All right. That is Karen Lyle and Patty Mangan of Salesport Talk and talk, com. More on the other side.
1: That's 800-788-1495.
5: You're listening to Dominic Jimenez on Sports Byline USA. Welcome
2: back. Putting a bow on the hour. Two more hours to go. A lot of guests still on the docket. Uh, I just want to spend the last eh, two minutes of this hour giving a massive shout-out to Miami-based reporter Samantha Rivera. I know you might not know who she is. She's a sports reporter anchor from CBS in Miami. She was in Vegas covering the Golden Knights game against the Florida Panthers. And while I've never done it professionally, I've done it enough in college to know that doing a live shot – doing a stand up and if you're not familiar with the terminology she's basically at the Golden Knights game doing a live report literally during the game post game I'm not sure when exactly it took place but in the arena it was loud and she's doing a live shot with the home base the home news back in Miami and a you know how people are they they when they see a camera they got to be in front of it they got to, yeah especially sports fans oh yeah Golden Knights Oh, Vegas! Ah, Florida, you're down 2-0! Well, a fan tried to do that to uh, Samantha Rivera, and all props to her. I don't know if she played football growing up, but she delivered a stiff arm to the fan and was like, nope, verbalized it, not even like she was acting like it. She verbalized, nope, nope, not happening, Uh uh-uh, not, no. She would go on and tweet, listen, I don't give a damn what your team you're rooting for. Get the heck out of my face. She shouldn't say heck. Uh, when I'm working and respect that I'm here to do my job. So Samantha Rivera of CBS Miami, just <laughs> props to you. You're a winner in my book. That's awesome. Stiff armed and unruly fan trying to take over her live shot. She's trying to do her job. Have some respect, but again, people see a camera and they go crazy. I don't see a camera in the studio, and I'm going crazy. No, uh, two more hours to the late sports on Sports Byline USA broadcast network coming up after the news break.
11: CBS News. I'm Rich Johnson. The future of AM radio in cars is the subject of a congressional hearing today, with lawmakers from both parties agreeing AM needs to stay. Here's Republican Congressman Bob Latta of Ohio.
12: Its unique frequency characteristics allow signals to travel far and wide, overcoming geographical barriers and reaching both urban and remote areas. This makes AM radio an invaluable tool during times of crisis.
11: Several automakers have said they're eliminating AM from future electric vehicles because of interference from the electric motors. The bill under consideration would force automakers to keep AM. Europe's largest nuclear plant's in danger of running out of cooling water thanks to the explosion that destroyed much of a huge dam in southern Ukraine. As for who did it...
13: Ukraine blames Russia for blowing up the strategic dam overnight, which is under Russian control in the Kherson region. President Zelensky calling it a terrorist attack, while Russian state media accuses Ukraine of attacking the dam without providing any evidence.
11: NBC correspondent Molly Hunter in Kyiv. More than 1,400 people from several small towns downstream from the breach dam have been evacuated. First, it was churches... Now, New York City Mayor Eric Adams wants to house migrants in private homes and paying homeowners to do it. Yesterday, Adams announced deals with about 50 churches and other houses of worship to start housing single adult male migrants. The Saudi Arabia-backed Live Golf Tour, which lured away several PGA stars with big guarantees and fewer tournaments, is merging with the PGA Tour. CNBC reports the deal would end all the lawsuits each tour has filed against the other. And the Oakland A's plan to move to Las Vegas has hit a big roadblock. The Nevada legislature adjourned last night without approving the nearly $400 million in public financing the team wants to build a new stadium. The governor may call a special session to get it done. This is USA News.
7: Newsmax TV is exploding, and everyone's talking about it. Now a survey finds that 30 million Americans are watching Newsmax TV all the time. Millions are turning off Fox, and President Trump says he loves Newsmax. So watch it, and make sure you vote in Newsmax's national poll asking about President Trump conceding the election. It takes a minute. Just text the word NORTH to 39747 and vote instantly. President Trump wants to know your opinion,
12: so text NORTH to 39747. I'm Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. I learned about atrial fibrillation the hard way. My symptoms would come and go, shortness of breath, fatigue. I kept going, then I got so lightheaded I couldn't. My doctor said I have AFib, so I'm about five times more likely to have a stroke. Other symptoms, irregular heartbeat, heart racing, chest pain, can come and go. But the risk of stroke stays. If you have symptoms, tell a doctor. Visit NotimeToWait.com. Sponsored by Bristol-Myers Squibb and Pfizer.
11: Union members take a vote this week to authorize a strike against UPS, the International Brotherhood of Teamsters, and the shipping company are trying to come up with a new contract before the current deal runs out at the end of July. As Hollywood writers remain on strike... Actors could also walk out if contract talks don't go their way. SAG-AFTRA
2: says more than 97% of its members have voted in favor of authorizing a strike. 65,000 union members voted on the strike authorization in recent days. SAG-AFTRA will begin its
14: negotiations with the Alliance of Motion Picture and Television Producers on Wednesday. The vote means the union now has the power to call for a strike if no new deal is reached with major studios, streamers, and production companies by June 30th. I'm Daniel Martindale. Bud Light may be on the rebound,
11: or not. Sales going into the Memorial Day weekend were down by nearly 24% from the same weekend last year, but that's better than the nearly 26% year-over-year drop from the week before. Bud Light's sales woes began with a social media campaign featuring trans influencer Dylan Mulvaney. One of the world's most famous auto races gets underway Saturday morning, and NBA superstar LeBron James will be there to be the honorary starter. At the 24 Hours of Le Mans, James says there's nothing like seeing and experiencing sports at their highest level. Past honorary starters have included Brad Pitt, Rafael Nadal, and the late actor Steve McQueen, who starred in a movie about the race. I'm Rich Johnson, USA News.
2: Welcome back to the show, Dominic Jimenez, in for Rick Tittle this week, at least until Thursday, and then my guy Daniel Ogden will fill in for me on Friday. Uh, More guests coming up in uh, a few minutes here, we'll have best-selling author Gracie Kim to talk about her new book, The Last Fallen Realm, which is the finale Looking at my notes, I wrote, which the is the is finale. My gosh. What was wrong with me yesterday as I was making these notes? Let's try that again. In a few minutes, we'll be speaking with Gracie Kim, best-selling author, who is joining us to talk about the release of The Last Fallen Realm, which is the finale to her Gifted Clans saga. There we go. And in about half an hour, I'll speak with award-winning television producer Arthur Smith to talk about his new book, Reach. You may have heard of some of the shows he's done. He's done American Ninja Warrior, still actively doing American Ninja Warrior, and Hell's Kitchen with Gordon Ramsay. It's raw! Sorry. I don't watch Hell's Kitchen, but I'm a Gordon Ramsay fan. He's entertaining. However you might be listening, iHeart, In Terrestrial Radio, through an affiliate, Sirius, uh, in podcast form, or on the American Forces Radio Network, I'd like to welcome you into the show. Thank you for taking your time and choosing to spend it with me. Makes me feel special, so thank you. And to all those listening on the American Forces Radio Network, thank you so much for protecting us and... Allowing me to uh speak with uh, all of the people listening, talking about sports and books and movies and television and we we do it all here at sports byline. It's almost just byline at this point. Although sports is where the, the home in the heart is, or something like that. Uh we got some more to talk about. I, I'm done with live golf for now, but there's definitely a lot more in the sporting world to talk to. As I mentioned, Vegas Golden Knights up 2-0 on the Florida Panthers. Can they come back? Who knows? Dominic Jimenez, Gracie Kim on the other side, titillating Sports.
5: Windy Strawberry Frosty is back for the summer. Because if it's summertime, it's frosty time. Beach time? Frosty time. Tea time? me time frosty time treat yourself to wendy's strawberry frosty this summer and make time for frosty time choose wisely choose wendy's now open till midnight or later limited time only participating u.s wendy's hours may vary You're listening to Dominic Jimenez on Sports Byline USA. Welcome back to the show heard
2: across the country and around the world on the American Forces Radio Network. It's my pleasure now to bring in best-selling author Gracie Kim. And she's here to talk about the release of The Last Fallen Realm, which is the finale to to her Gifted Clans saga, which is published by Rick Reardon Presents, which is an imprint of Disney Hyperion. Uh, Gracie, welcome to the show, and um, I know your main character, Riley O. Oh, she is adopted, so she's seen as different. Um, how did your background, kind of mixed ethnicity, being Korean and from New Zealand, how did that kind of, how much of you did you really put into Riley when you created this character?
16: Mm. Hi, Rick. Thanks for having me again. Um, you know what? I It's interesting. I don't think I meant to do it on purpose, but there is quite a lot of me in Wiley-O, and I think a lot of it stems from me having grown up in New Zealand as a Korean kid. I was born in Korea and moved to New Zealand when I was three, uh, and when I first started school, I was bullied for being different. Um, people fear what's different, and so um, this part of my childhood, uh, which I didn't realize had fed so much into the story in, in quite a different way. So riley like you say, she's adopted and she wants to belong and, and fit into her family and her community. And this experience that I had growing up, I guess, really informed that. Um, but of course, in Riley's situation, it's because she wants magic. Um, she wants to be blessed by the Korean mythological goddesses so that she can perform healing magic.
2: Now, Now that you've wrapped up the series have you kind of taken a look back and now that you have realized oh i did throw myself a little bit into riley has it been a little cathartic for you being able to kind of let out and and kind of um find an outlet for any feelings that you may have had from growing up and and kind of put it out there and twi- give it a positive twist to it
16: oh yes, yeah, for sure kind of like self a little bit of self-therapy, if you will, I guess, because you have to make your characters go through a whole lot of challenges and come to a realization at the end of each book, right? They have to change as a result of what they went through. And in doing so, I think, yeah, I really did learn some lessons myself or perhaps not so much learn lessons, but reflect on lessons I have learned. Um, So, for example, this idea of belonging, I really love this idea that, um, you know, we don't, have to be a hundred percent of a person and therefore every identity we, we are or we adopt has to fit within this mathematical equation, you know. So if you're 60% in my case, if I feel 60% Kiwi and then there's only 40% left to be Korean. And I love this idea that that is a false choice. And really I can be a hundred percent Korean and a hundred percent Kiwi and a hundred percent lots of other things, um, in my life. So, um, that is definitely something I've taken away and the other one that I have taken away is this idea of choice that um, regardless of what life may throw at us as a curveball um, what I have discovered through this character um, and through these books is that Uh, The decision to come out of any situation, um, and like you say, with a positive spin, or to to take what you've learned and apply it in a way that's uniquely yours, um, that choice is yours, because it's um, a decision that, regardless of your age, is not something somebody else can make for you, and it's definitely not a choice that somebody else can make for you, um, or take from you. So, um, yeah, I think choice is the other thing I've definitely discovered through
2: these books. Now, I am a big mythology fan. I'm not too familiar with Korean mythology, but I think about Greek and Roman and Norse and Egyptian, and it can be overwhelming for adults. So how did you approach weaving in some mythological characters and and things like that and make it accessible for a younger fan base? Because these books are uh, middle grade reading books. So how did you approach that?
16: Hmm. You know, it's
2: interesting, when I first started researching career mythology, I was
16: really worried that I would tell the stories wrong um, or somehow feel that I wasn't the right person to tell them because I hadn't done enough research or, you know, know the source material. But I quickly learned that actually um, a lot of these stories are spread orally um, through generations. And so every time they're shared, they're updated and upgraded and added with the flair of the storyteller to suit the times, to suit the circumstance, the scenario, the society. Um, And so when I, I guess, embraced that, I found that it was actually, you know, really fun to be able to put my flair on it. And it just so happens that my flair is... um, Young. (laughs) My mind, perhaps, um, didn't move on so much since my middle grade years. So um, it was just really fun to inject that middle grade vibe and humor um, and my creativity into the mix.
2: I love that. Uh, We're speaking with Gracie Kim. She's a best-selling author who is joining us, and she's talking about the release of The Last Fallen Realm, which is the finale to her Gifted Clan saga, and is published by Rick Riordan Presents. Now, Gracie, I, I, you know, I, I read through uh, the book a little bit. I looked at some of the press material, and and I just, I get surprised at how many different ele- thematic elements. You know, I, I think of any kind of successful book, for the most part, sticks to one thing. It's a spy, a spy book, or this is a legal thriller, or that's a magic book. And with you, you bring action, you bring fantasy, you bring mythology. How difficult was it blending all of these different elements and creating not just one cohesive story, but a trilogy that spans multiple years and multiple stories and has been solidly con- con- continuous?
16: <laughs> well, you know, I think it stems from my own short attention span. Um, I get so easily distracted that uh, when I'm writing, I try to think of me as the end reader. I'm thinking, oh my goodness, at this point in the scene, I'm already snoring. So how am I going to get this moving? I think that has um, really helped um, to create scenes that, like you say, have a bit of this, have a bit of that, but really has propelling action through it and that has been so enjoyable um and in terms of over the three books it's interesting i <clears throat> before starting the series i kind of envisaged the story as a three book thing and so it kind of never struck me that it could be more than that i just had this very finite um pattern of how the story would go um so i kind of just went with it i guess
2: now you mentioned going into it you had an idea that it was going to be a three book series and now that the third book the last fallen realm is out how do you feel because this is kind of your baby this is something that you spent a lot of time on you've had success with characters of your own design riley shaped in a, a little bit after yourself so wh- what are some of the emotions and feelings that you've gone through through the finishing process of writing the third book and now that it's out the finality of the series
16: Mm. So while I was drafting this last book, honestly, I just found it so difficult. The amount of times I wanted to throw my laptop was was uncannily high. Um, And it was difficult because um, it's just difficult to write a book, (laughs) I think, full stop. Mm -hmm. Um, But also because I was really sad to say goodbye to these characters. And it seems funny because these characters are creations of my own imagination, really. They don't disappear. They stay really in my head, don't they? But um, I did find it sad. Um, but, I mean, at the same time, um, perhaps because of that, I tried really hard to give them a good send-off. Uh, and I really hope that readers will enjoy what I've, um, what I've done with the characters and hopefully aren't uh, as sad as I was that we have to say goodbye for now.
2: We've got about a minute left. Uh, one last question for you, Gracie. Uh, now that you're, you've completed the series, the trilogy, and, and during the process of writing these books, did you ever learn anything about yourself? A little introspection while writing these? My goodness.
16: I think writing is a reflection on oneself. The more you write down, the more you are reflected um, on those pages. Uh, So absolutely. But I I have to repeat what I said before. I did not realize how short of an attention span I have. (laughs) Um, And instead of being um, encumbered by it, I have really tried to embrace it and tried to incorporate that into my writing to... To really try to create page-turning, interesting, fun book.
2: That is the voice of the self-proclaimed Korean Kiwi, Gracie Kim. She's a best-selling author, and she was here to talk about The Last Fallen Realm, which is the finale to her Gifted Clan saga, published by Rick Riordan Presents, which is an imprint of Disney Hyperion. Gracie, thank you so much for taking some time and joining us. Congrats on the continued success with this series, and congrats on bringing a close to the story of Riley O. We appreciate having you on today.
16: Thank you so much for
2: having me. It's my pleasure. That is Gracie Kim again. Out now, The Last Fallen Realm, the finale to her Gifted Clans saga, published by Rick Reardon Presents, uh, which is an imprint of Disney Hyperion. Available where books are sold, so go out and get it. Uh, I'm Dominic Jimenez. Open lines on the other side. This is Sports byline USA.
1: 30-day money-back guarantee. 800-867-6917. 800-867-6917. 800-867-6917. That's 800-867-6917.
0: President Biden recently released a massive $6 trillion budget, the largest budget in U.S. history. And guess who pays the bill? That's right, you, the American taxpayer. American citizens and business owners will be paying more taxes, that's a fact. And if you owe back taxes, they will be coming after you to collect payments. In fact, President Biden also hired thousands more IRS agents to go after you.
1: That's 800-949-0039. Paid for by the Tax Helpline. It's a free call, so let us fix it for you. 855-325-5647. 855-325-5647. 855-325-5647. That's 855-325-5647.
5: You're listening to Dominic Jimenez on Sports Byline USA. Welcome
2: back to the show. I'm going to have award-winning producer t- TV producer Arthur Smith joining me in the next segment. But again, we've got open lines, 25s, the only open line segments I have. Uh, so you can make call 1-800-878-PLAY, 1-800-878-7529, and we can talk about sports, we can talk about the the A's, will they go to Vegas, will they not? But will they, but won't they? There's a roadblock, but there's not a roadblock. I'm sorry, Ace fans. It's what a mess that is. Y'all deserve better. So give me a call. We can talk about that or literally whatever you want to talk about in the world of sports. Uh, we got to talk some basketball and not focusing on the finals because the Dallas Mavericks have now been in the news twice in the last two days. Nothing nefarious, no sketchiness, no Mark Cuban's not going to sell the team. But they've been in the news. I didn't have the time to talk about some of this yesterday, and plus I wanted to save it and try to balance out the news for the week. You don't know what is or isn't going to become available. So Monday... Shams Sharanya reported Kyrie Irving apparently said he's reached out to LeBron to see if he wants to join the Mavericks. So let's start there, shall we? First off, Kyrie's not even under contract with Dallas. He's a free agent. I guess that means he's willing to come back to Dallas. Cool. All right. But there, there there's no commitment from Kyrie to go to Dallas. It's clearly just one of those, hey, do you do you, you want to go there? I think similarly to how Chris Bosh and LeBron kind of decided how they were going to together go to Miami, I think it's one of those kind of situations. Kyrie's like, hey, I, I didn't mind it here. Do you want to come here? So there is a lot to unpack there. One, the Kyrie-Luca experiment Didn't really work very well. Two, Kyrie's not under contract with Dallas. He's a free agent. Or he's going to be a free agent when the new league year starts or whatever. Three, LeBron James still under contract with the Lakers. He's got one more year with LA. It's not like he's a free agent. Four, Dallas does not have anything to be able to acquire LeBron. They've got two future first-round picks to their name. Not a lot of players to choose from. They they don't have a package for LeBron James. They don't. And five, do you really think that would be the best move to get Luka help? Yes, LeBron is still a very good player. But let's just imagine they were able to trade for him. You're getting a 38, 39-year-old LeBron James who is very good, excellent still in stretches, but he's not the kind of defensive lockdown guy that he used to be, that he was capable of in the past. And that's really what Dallas needs. They go to the conference finals, lose to the Warriors in five games. I was at game five. Shout out to my sister. It's my birthday gift that year. It was very cool. My first game at Chase Center. Got to watch Luka Doncic. And I got to watch my Warriors win. It was a great night. And then they... I'm not going to say they let Jalen Brunson go, but they didn't retain Jalen Brunson, so he's gone. And then they trade their best defenders and acquire Kyrie Irving. I don't know what Dallas was expecting. But when you can't play defense, it's hard to win games. Just throwing that out there. So that's what all the problems are there. It's it's not going to happen. It's just not. I Nick mean, Kyrie's eligible for a big old bag. LeBron and the Lakers. Excuse me, if they keep and sign Austin Reeves to a big extension, what's he going to do? What are the Lakers going to do? Are they going to bring somebody else in? Are they going to trade D'Angelo Russell? Who knows? It's a lot of uncertainty, but I can say with almost full certainty, LeBron is not going to be traded to the Dallas Mavericks. I just... I close my eyes and I think, and I just, there's no way that I can come up with a scenario in which that would work out. I just, it's not going to happen. Now, that was what we were talking about with Kyrie wanting LeBron to join the Lakers. And if they draft Bronny, maybe next year, not this upcoming, this next upcoming season. Maybe the following year LeBron will opt out and he'll go to Dallas and if Kyrie's there he'll play with Luka Kyrie and Bronny who knows. But for this upcoming next season, which would be the 2023-2024 season, I I I I don't I don't see it not happening. Now, the other part of this is is Kyrie going to stay in Dallas? Well, Tuesday now, today There is a report that Kyrie wants to re-sign with the Mavericks. He's eligible for $46 million in the first year of a new deal. And uh, if he wanted to go to the Lakers or he wanted to re-sign with Dallas, neither team has a ton of money. Now Dallas can go over the cap to uh, re-sign him because they had his rights. But there's uh, there's hopes he's trying to secure a max deal with Dallas, and maybe that's why he reached out to LeBron. Maybe that's his attempt at, all right, yeah, you sign me to a big deal, and you're going to get LeBron. It's usually the other way around. LeBron's on a team, and he attracts the free agents. That's that's usually how it works. But, you know, Kyrie, a very good player. I just I don't see the long-term pairing with Luka working. Yeah, they got Luka, a guy who can play, just happens to play the same position and similar-ish skill sets. But according to Mark Stein, the Mavericks and Kyrie both have an agreement, desire an agreement, to keep the All-Star in Dallas. Dallas has not wavered from its hope and intent to re-sign Irving in a free agency and pursue further potential win-now roster upgrades via trade packages built around the 10th overall pick. Yet two sources close to the process insisted Monday that Irving has consistently expressed a desire to maintain a Maverick and actually wants to shut down the notion he's angling to get to L.A. One source says he wants to stay. Now, anytime we get sources say, you have to take everything with a grain of salt because you don't know who the source is. The source could be made up. The source could be wrong. You never know. But Dallas, desperate, before Luke, to, to, to make Luca happy by putting a team around him before he starts getting the itch to leave. Which is why they got Kyrie in the first place. It just really didn't work out. I'm not going to say it failed spectacularly, but it definitely was far from successful. They were able to keep their 10th pick. I think it if it, if it fell out of the lottery, so if it was 11 or lower, they would have lost their first-round pick. Now, I don't know if they're going to be able to package the 10th pick. I don't know how deep this draft is. I know who we're going to, the top two picks are going to be, and I know the third pick, probably. Maybe the fourth pick. I don't know if, it'd go, if it's deep to 10. Now, to be fair, in basketball, there are a lot of players not drafted in the top two that are good, that are successful, and have good careers. So it's not out, out of the realm of possibility that you can get somebody good At ten, if you decide to trade that pick and you're hesitant to let go of a player, and you're, we're gonna get the tenth pick back though. What can we? You can get a very good player tenth overall. So I think teams that are entertaining trades with Dallas and that are centered around that pick, I think you shouldn't worry too hard. I think it's more than doable to get a good player at ten. If I'm Dallas, do I trade that 10th pick? I think they put themselves into a hole where they have to. I think if they don't trade for Kyrie, they keep the picks from that trade. You've got Dorian Finney-Smith. you got Luka. Now, there's still not a lot of help for Luka in this scenario, but now you have options with that 10th pick more than you do now, where I think they have to trade it. And if you still have Luka. You still have the 10th pick. You still have your other picks. You still have your players around Luka who are good. A Dorian Finney-Smith guy is unheralded. He's never going to get the fame and the accolades that he, I think, rightfully deserves. But he's a very good player, a great complimentary piece. And I think that having those guys and the picks involved from the Kyrie trade could have put them in a better situation. But as a fan of a rival of them in the Western Conference, go Warriors. I'm Dominic Jimenez, Arthur Smith, award-winning TV and sports producer, coming up after the break.
15: This is Ron Barr. Father's Day was always special for me and my dad. We'd go to a ball game, go fishing, or maybe even take a trip. There were things that made Father's Day unique and unforgettable for us. I've got a suggestion that will make it the same way for you and your dad. Give him the Omaha Steaks. Dads One steaks package. I can't think of a better way to celebrate his day than barbecuing with your dad. As a special to our listeners, when you go to OmahaSteaks.com and order the Dad's Want Steaks package, type in sports and get $30 off. I've tasted all the great products from Omaha Steaks, and I guarantee you'll like it, and so will your dad. Give him more than just a gift. Send him an experience he can share with you. Go to OmahaSteaks.com and order the Dad's Want Steaks package today. You'll get 16 entrees and 4 desserts plus 8 free Omaha Steaks burgers with your order. It'll be a Father's Day your dad and you will always remember. That's OmahaSteaks.com, keyword sports.
5: Titillating sports continues on Sports Byline USA.
2: Welcome back to the show. Dominic Jimenez here, Sports Byline USA Broadcast Network, heard across the country and around the world on the American Forces Radio Network. Very excited to welcome in my next guest. He's an award-winning TV and sports producer and author now because he's got a new book called Reach. Hard Lessons and Learned Truths from a Lifetime in Television. And that is from my guest, Arthur Smith. He's spent 40 years in television. He's worked on 200 plus shows, over 50 plus networks, including Hell's Kitchen, American Ninja Warrior, and three Olympic Games. Arthur, welcome to the show. And I think we need to start with the book. And what made you want to put a book together?
17: Hey, Dominic, Um, you know, um, I had a New Year's resolution in 2014, but I didn't do anything about it because I was too busy making some of those shows, (laughs) but I had been subconsciously writing this book in my head for uh, a number of years, so when I sat down to write it about a year and a half ago, um, it just flew, you know, flew, flowed out of my brain, I should say, Um, and, you know, I believe in the power of reach, it's what I've used and uh throughout my life and um because when i I believe when you reach you find out what you're capable of uh when you reach you realize the difference between a pipe dream and what you haven't dared to try just yet and so many of the things that have happened in my life um i felt were because of this this theory that i had um this book represents a chapter in my life where i'm trying to pay it forward give it back and as a matter of fact all the Proceeds from the book are going to the Reach Foundation, which is a uh, which has been set up to to give money to charities who lift people up in in some way. And uh, you know, along the way, I, I, I you know, I tell some stories <laughs> about you know Wayne Gretzky and Magic Johnson and Larry Bird and Dwayne Johnson and Gordon Ramsay and Rupert Murdoch and Paul Allen and Donald Trump's in there. And uh, but all of the stories in there um, are selected because of what they represent as far as the power of rage goes so I'd like to say it's a memoir with a purpose so um yeah it's really about uh, paying it forward giving it back I've been you know through the years um uh, the thing I'm enjoying most and and where I want to vote the next chapter of my life is really to mentor and to talking to people and so um so yeah so that's uh, that's kind of the story and a long rambling answer
2: It's funny, when you started that answer and you're like, I had a New Year's resolution back in 2014. I thought you were just going to say I I didn't do it like most of us, but you had a pretty good reason uh, for being very busy. Um, You mentioned some of the names that you've worked with, and when it comes to both working with them and then kind of compartmentalizing those stories that you have with these huge personalities, what was that process like kind of going in the memory banks and thinking your time with The Rock, time with Donald Trump, Marlon Brando, Gordon Ramsay, Magic Johnson, it goes on and on, and being able to turn those, um, those stories you have into what, as you said, kind of a uh, memoir with a purpose. So how, how did you take that process of uh, all these personalities and stories and turn it into actually something with a, a bit of a story arc behind it?
17: You know, like I said, in each of them, um, they, they talk about the power of race in a different way and, uh, and and the things that I've learned through my experiences with them. There are other stories about some not-so-famous people that, that are in there as well. But there's something that happened to me when I was very young, and um, I'll, leave it for, I'll leave it for the people to read in the book, but I will tell you that I grew up as a very, very shy kid, You know the kind of kid that parents worry about, uh, very introverted, and... Um, You know, when I was nine years old, something happened to me that changed my life because I was forced to put myself out there. And subconsciously, it stuck with me. And I learned that the more I tried, the luckier I got. I learned that when I looked at things beyond my grasp, sometimes I reached for them to find out that I could actually do it. And that incident when I was nine years old, as a Canadian, came on the ice when I was playing hockey. And I started to excel in sports, and sports really brought me up, brought, me brought my personality out. And that's why it's, you know, I have young uh, nephews and nieces, and you know, I, I always encourage them to play sports because of what, you know, what it represents and what it can do for you. And for me, it was the thing that changed my life because from sports, sports got me into um, realizing that I kind of enjoyed the spotlight, and, which led me into acting. And then I started doing feature films and television commercials. And it was like, what happened to this kid? For nine years, he didn't speak. And now we can't get this. Shut up. So so then, you know, which led me into producing, because every time I was on set of a television show that I was acting in, I was so curious about what was going on in the control room. So I used to hang out with the director and the producer and ask a lot of questions. And then I, when, I, when it time to go to, col- go to college, I went to film school. And that's when I started, I, and I went to film school instead of theater school because theater school was just too artsy for me. I never wanted to be a tree. I just wanted to, <laughs> so I just wanted to act and learn more about the business. And so while I was school, I was acting. And, I, and the acting actually paid for my college education, which was great. But while I was in school, I was learning about cameras and producing and directing. And, and I fell in love with it. And I said, this is my calling. And, As a child, you know, because I was so shy, especially when I was young, television kept me company. And then gradually I developed this habit because I'm a TV hollock and I still love TV. I am crazy about television. In fact, the greatest gift my wife has given me in 35 years of marriage was TiVo. TiVo, when it first came out, (laughs) the first TVR. Because, you know, when I was a kid, I used to have to like work through the TV guide, make a spreadsheet, try to figure out what to watch uh now it's just so much easier we watch what we want when we want so um but anyhow so like i said when i laid out my life and when i looked at this common thread that was running through it you know i could see that the power of reach was all the way through it in different ways in different ways and the power of reach it you know can is defined and you'll see how i define it in the broadest possible way but it also means reaching back and helping others reaching out to mentors who help you and so that allows you to reach um, so um, so yeah so like I said you know the story the story that I tell with Magic Johnson and Larry Bird is crazy and I love magic for it because you know he, he's such a special guy I, I went to a basketball game with him in Indiana and I saw what it's like to you know spend a day watching Magic Johnson be Magic Johnson he's just so amazing just just how comfortable he is in his own skin and how he, how he interacts with people but what happened with me and Magic was crazy so I, I'm going leave it, to leave it for the book but it's, it's, it's a nutty story but it gives you an idea of what Magic Johnson's really like and he, he's amazing so but there's many stories like that there's many, many stories you know um, in the book and, and, um, and, I, and I hope um, that'll entertain people but I really hope it inspires them
2: We're speaking with Arthur Smith, award-winning TV and sports producer, and he's uh, written a book called Reach, Hard Lessons, and Learn Truths from a Lifetime in Television. And, you know, I mentioned some of the shows that you've worked on. Very well, You're very well known in the reality and unscripted program space. Um, I I think those types of programs have become a a part of, I don't want to say the American way, but when it comes to what people are passionate about, When it comes to their programming, I I think uh, reality shows, unscripted programs, are so high up there. As somebody who's produced hours upon hours of that type of content, can can you speak a little bit to what you think it is about these type of programs that America and the world just absolutely loves and is so passionate about?
17: Well, you know, the genre is so massive. Like you know, I, I talk about in the book reality television. The word reality television is not my favorite word because people define it differently. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, I tend to call it nonfiction because I think it's just, it encompasses everything. You know, when I think of shows like American Ninja Warrior, I don't think of it as a reality show. I just don't. I think it's a sports entertainment show. And I, when I think of shows like Dealer, Dealer No Deal, it's a game show. But some people call it a reality show. And people talk about American Idol, they call it a reality show. But it really is a variety show because those genres existed long before reality When I think of reality television, I think of shows like Hell's Kitchen, which, you know, we do, and it's going into our 22nd season, because that is something new. And that is something that came out of, you know, um, this evolution, a revolution, that started around 2000. um, And the two, like, to me, the two um, shows that really represent the, the pioneers of reality television are Survivor, which is Hell's Kitchen, Amazing Race, all those sh- shows fall into that camp. And the other one is the real world where, you know, the Kardashians and Real Housewives and our show, Welcome to Platform on TLC, they fall into that camp. Those are the two. We have structured reality and unstructured reality, structured being the survivor types and then the unstructured which being the real world types. But when we look at the genre as a whole, nonfiction television, which includes The Voice and American Idol and Ninja and, and everything else, yeah, I mean, it's funny <laughs> that, that these shows have become mainstream. There was a time when people referred to this as alternative television. But it's anything but, right? It's like, you know, if you look at the top 10 television shows, probably five or six of them are nonfiction shows, or what people call reality shows. I'm going to loosen up a little bit, but for me, I just have this hang up because, you know, it's like, you know, because sometimes when people talk about reality television, it's always funny to me because they go, oh, I don't watch reality television. I and mean, usually when they say that, they're thinking of the trashiest, gishiest, you know, lowest form of reality television. Yeah. And then I start asking, "What do you watch? What do you watch?" And they go, "Oh, I watch Top Chef." Uh, okay, and, and Shark Tank. And I go, "Well, you know, what do you what do you call those?" And, and that's that's why I, that's why I struggle with the with the term because everybody has a different uh, de- definition of it. So more than you ask. But, you know, I
2: couldn't help myself. It's (laughs) totally cool. We've only got about a a minute left. I want to ask you one quick question about American Ninja Warrior and the season 15 premiered last night, NBC. Um, Was there any pressure on you or expectations where you're bringing and adapting an iconic show and competition for the U.S. market?
17: No, I mean, this show was such a little secret, you know, that it really wasn't, you know, it started in Japan a show called Snosky, and nobody really knew what it was. It was on a network called G4. How it became a primetime network series, and let's think about an obstacle course from primetime on NBC in its 15th season, Um, that was quite the leap, quite the reach, and the story of how that happened is covered in the book. But, you know, there wasn't a lot of pressure because, you know, at the time I was just coming off running uh, Fox Sports where I was head of programming production and news for four years, and, um, you know, I was starting my company. My company had been going on for a few years. And a colleague of mine was running this network called G4. And he said, take a look at this thing. It's the only thing that's getting a rating on my network. And it's this little show out of Japan, and I'm dubbing it. And you think we can do an American version of it? And I said, yes. And what I saw in it was that the people who were running the course were plumbers, they were teachers, they were dental hygienists, they you know, and they were failing a lot. Mm-hmm. And, and, it, was like, and I, it got to me. It was like the celebration of the attempt by ordinary people reaching to do the extraordinary. And, and I said, wow, if we can get vested in these people's stories and make it broad, then, you know, then we have something here. And that's key, clearly a key to the appeal of Ninja Warrior. And there's other, there's other factors. There's other reasons why I believe Ninja works. But that was definitely the start of it. And so it was on G4. And really, it was a stroke of luck how we ended up NBC, uh, on NBC because... Had Comcast not bought NBC Universal, uh, I don't know where the show would be. Comcast, had bought, Comcast owns G4, and it owned the E Network and a few other ones. And so when, when, they, when they bought NBC, myself and the head of G4 went to NBC and said, please put our finale on. Never, ever thinking that you and I would be having a conversation about the 15th season of American Ninja Warrior. So, but we, we just we put the finale on as an act of synergy, just so to throw a spotlight on this little show. Mm. And sure enough, the show goes on and, and does really well. And, uh, you know, and for me, being a sports guy and an entertaining guy, I have two tours of duty in sports. You know, it is the blending of both of my worlds because I love both, and, and, and that's the joy of my company. I'm still, I know I'm on a, I know I'm on a sports byline right now, so I mean, you know, my, my love of sports and my passion for sports is, is still there. I just love all of TV and I'm, I'm, I'm grateful that, you know, I can do a show like Ninja Warrior which proves that an athletic event can have broad appeal. In fact, more women watch the show than men and, you know, we've created a sport. You know, there was, there was, there's sport, ninja's a sport now. It's nuts. There's ninja gyms all over the country and kids are choosing to, to do ninja instead of soccer which is amazing because it was just a little show out of Japan and once we started producing it, you know, it did really well. we got, We got nominated for Emmy Awards. We've been nominated seven times for Emmy Awards. And the show is now seen in 100 countries. So sometimes when you reach, um, there are are things that you hope would happen, and there are things you'd never expect.
2: And the biggest part of the fan base is because it's something that we look at, and for a brief moment we think, we could do that. And then you see the next stage, and you absolutely could not do it. We've been speaking with Arthur Smith, award-winning TV and sports producer. His new book, Reach, Hard Lessons and Learned Truths. From a lifetime in television is out now. Arthur, thank you so much for regaling some of your stories, and we really appreciate it. And congrats on the book.
17: Thanks so much. I appreciate you
5: talking to me,
2: Dominic. Absolutely our pleasure. Take care. Arthur Smith, once again, reach hard lessons and learn truths
18: from a lifetime in television. I'm Dominic Jimenez. Do you have an invention idea but don't know what to do next? Call InventHelp now for free information on how to get started today. InventHelp provides invention services that help everyday inventors get started with their idea. We have representatives nationwide who will explain the InventHelp process step by step. Over 10,000 patents have been secured through InventHelp's patent referral services. Our services include professional materials needed to showcase your invention and 3D animation and prototype modeling that help you demonstrate your idea. Get down to the details of your idea with a technical drawing. The InventHelp Data Bank includes thousands of companies who have agreed to review new ideas. We've been helping inventors since 1984. Let's help you next. Take advantage of the opportunity to get started today. Call 1-800-356-7308.
15: That's 1-800-356-7308. Again, 1-800-356-7308.
2: All right, closing things down in the hour, Arthur Smith, what a guest. Thank you once again for joining me there, as well as Gracie Kim in the first segment of the hour. So many questions. I could have spent like the entire hour talking to Arthur Smith because he gave me really good answers. And I because he gave me really good answers, I had a lot of questions left. You always love an interview like that, though. Better to not get through all your questions than to run out of questions in the first three minutes. I, that's, that's what I always say. And by that I mean this, that may have been the first time I've said that. But I've thought about it a lot. We've got another hour of titillating sports, pro wagering, and pro bowler Kyle Troop on the other side. So stick with us. Dominic Jimenez, titillating sports on the Sports Byline USA Broadcast Network.
11: For News, I'm Rich Johnson. The future of AM radio in cars is the subject of a congressional hearing today, with lawmakers from both parties agreeing AM needs to stay. Here's Republican Congressman Bob Latta of Ohio.
12: Its unique frequency characteristics allow signals to travel far and wide, overcoming geographical barriers and reaching both urban and remote areas. This makes AM radio an invaluable tool during times of crisis.
11: Several automakers have said they're eliminating AM from future electric vehicles because of interference from the electric motors. The bill under consideration would force automakers to keep AM. Europe's largest nuclear plant's in danger of running out of cooling water thanks to the explosion that destroyed much of a huge dam in southern Ukraine. As for who did it...
13: Ukraine blames Russia for blowing up the strategic dam overnight, which is under Russian control in the Kherson region. President Zelensky calling it a terrorist attack, while Russian state media accuses Ukraine of attacking the dam without providing any evidence.
11: NBC correspondent Molly Hunter in Kyiv. More than 1,400 people from several small towns downstream from the breach dam have been evacuated. First, it was churches... Now, New York City Mayor Eric Adams wants to house migrants in private homes and paying homeowners to do it. Yesterday, Adams announced deals with about 50 churches and other houses of worship to start housing single adult male migrants. The Saudi Arabia-backed Live Golf Tour, which lured away several PGA stars with big guarantees and fewer tournaments, is merging with the PGA Tour. CNBC reports the deal would end all the lawsuits each tour has filed against the other. And the Oakland A's plan to move to Las Vegas has hit a big roadblock. The Nevada legislature adjourned last night without approving the nearly $400 million in public financing the team wants to build a new stadium. The governor may call a special session to get it done. This is USA News.
7: Newsmax TV is exploding, and everyone's talking about it. Now a survey finds that 30 million Americans are watching Newsmax TV all the time. Millions are turning off Fox, and President Trump says he loves Newsmax. So watch it, and make sure you vote in Newsmax's national poll asking about President Trump conceding the election. It takes a minute. Just text the word NORTH to 39747 and vote instantly. President Trump wants to know your opinion,
12: so text NORTH to 39747. I'm Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. I learned about atrial fibrillation the hard way. My symptoms would come and go, shortness of breath, fatigue. I kept going, then I got so lightheaded I couldn't. My doctor said I have AFib, so I'm about five times more likely to have a stroke. Other symptoms, irregular heartbeat, heart racing, chest pain, can come and go. But the risk of stroke stays. If you have symptoms, tell a doctor. Visit NotimeToWait.com. Sponsored by Bristol-Myers Squibb and Pfizer.
11: Union members take a vote this week to authorize a strike against UPS, the International Brotherhood of Teamsters, and the shipping company are trying to come up with a new contract before the current deal runs out at the end of July. As Hollywood writers remain on strike... Actors could also walk out if contract talks don't go their way. SAG-AFTRA
2: says more than 97% of its members have voted in favor of authorizing a strike. 65,000 union members voted on the strike authorization in recent days. SAG-AFTRA will begin its
14: negotiations with the Alliance of Motion Picture and Television Producers on Wednesday. The vote means the union now has the power to call for a strike if no new deal is reached with major studios, streamers, and production companies by June 30th. I'm Daniel Martindale. Bud Light may be on the rebound,
11: or not. Sales going into the Memorial Day weekend were down by nearly 24% from the same weekend last year, but that's better than the nearly 26% year-over-year drop from the week before. Bud Light's sales woes began with a social media campaign featuring trans influencer Dylan Mulvaney. One of the world's most famous auto races gets underway Saturday morning, and NBA superstar LeBron James will be there to be the honorary starter. At the 24 Hours of Le Mans, James says there's nothing like seeing and experiencing sports at their highest level. Past honorary starters have included Brad Pitt, Rafael Nadal, and the late actor Steve McQueen, who starred in a movie about the race. I'm Rich Johnson, USA News.
2: Another hour of titillating sports with Dominic Jimenez. It would be named something differently if I if this was legit just my show. I don't know what it would be though. So it's not even like, oh, for the next three hours you're going to listen to... Yep. <laughs> I tried to be. I, I'm pretty good when it comes to improvisation. A lot of drama classes in high school. I, I'm pretty quick on my feet. I'm I'm selectively funny. Like when I'm with my friends, if there's a situation and I, I can come up with something quick that's funny on the spot, I don't think I could ever be a stand-up comedian. I, I'm far more funny in the moment than I am ever could be writing jokes down. Some mad respect to stand-up comedians. Uh, however you might be listening we'd like to welcome you in third hour we'll be joined by JD Sharp of Pro Wagering Talks some Baseball that'll be in about uh, 15 minutes or so and in about half an hour I'll be talking with PBA star Kyle Troop again I think this is his fifth appearance EJ's still winning I wonder if that w- uh, I'm not going to mention it but I wonder if if I did if that would bug Kyle he's like you know what I'm going to come on again in a couple weeks Yeah, he probably wouldn't, but he he would come back on. I've all of the bowlers that I've spoken to, whether it was on the air or after the interview off the air, they've all been like, "Hey, thank you so much for uh, letting us have a platform to talk bowling." I'm like, "Yeah, I'm one of you. I'm not as no nowhere near as good, but I'm all for talking bowling because it's something I know and I'm passionate about." Big news in baseball, and I'm going to get JD Sharp's thoughts on it. But uh, Ellie De La Cruz, the number two prospect in all of baseball, called up. You recall, I briefly talked about him yesterday in how he's a huge shortstop, switch hitter, crazy power, has hit some of the hardest balls in all of professional baseball. But he gets the call up to the Cincinnati Reds. So we'll get JD's thoughts on that and uh, more. Your calls also this next segment. Wide open. 1-800-878-PLAY. Call me!
5: Windy Strawberry Frosty is back for the summer. Because if it's summertime, it's frosty time. Beach time? Frosty time. Tea time? Frosty time. time?
3: Me time? <laughs>
5: Treat yourself to Wendy's Strawberry Frosty this summer and make time for frosty time. Choose wisely. Choose Wendy's. Now open till midnight or later. Limited time only.
4: Participating U.S. Wendy's. Hours may vary.
5: You're listening to Dominic Jimenez on Sports Byline USA. All
2: right, welcome back into the show. Dominic Jimenez in for Rick Tittle, as I've mentioned a few different times. So uh, if you're shocked to hear my voice, you really should it be. Uh, give me a call and we can talk some sports. 1-800-878-PLAY. 1-800-878-7529. This will be the last opportunity in the show to call me. So... Do it if you're so inclined. We'll talk about whatever you want to talk about in the world of sports, even if it's weird. If it's sports-related, I'm going to run with it. And this is no disrespect to the listeners. If you call in at 25 or 40, because I'm on the air I I will and I have guests, I literally won't be able to even screen the call. So I'm sorry. It's just going to ring. So if you call now, I'll push the button and I'll uh, introduce you on the air. Otherwise, I won't be able to answer it, and I apologize for that. All right, there is a show that I know Rick loves to watch and talks about periodically. I don't watch it. I've never watched it. I don't think I ever will. It's just not something that appeals to me. And we were talking with Arthur Smith in the last hour about, air quote, reality television. And this is not reality. He would classify it as unscripted. What are you talking about, Dominic? I promise this is sports related. I'm not about to bust out. It's uh, it's the newest season of Below Deck. No. Although I have seen a couple episodes of that, my mom doesn't watch it actively. But sometimes she'll flip it on. I'll be in the room. Eh, eh, cool. That's cool. I wish I, wish I had the money to leisurely rent out a yacht. This show I'm talking about is Hard Knocks. On Max and HBO. Formerly HBO Max. And it's fascinating because if you remember, there are there are rules in place that prevent you from being selected. It, it, you're exempt if you hit one of these three criteria. If you have a first year head coach in place, if you have a playoff berth in the last two seasons or you have appeared on Hard Knocks in the past 10 years. If you meet either, I'm not either, there's three things, if you meet any of those criteria, you are exempt and will not be chosen by the NFL to participate in Hard Knocks. Now it's June. Normally the announcement comes in March as to who's going to be on Hard Knocks. So what's the holdup? Well, The first holdup is there's only four possible teams they can choose from. The other thing, uh, uh, most of these teams, uh, there's some reason they may not want to be on. So the four teams that are eligible to be selected by the NFL are the New York Jets, the Chicago Bears, the New Orleans Saints, and the Washington Commanders. I'm going to tell you right now, it's not going to be the commanders. Dan Snyder still owns the team. Is he in the process of selling it? Yes, but he still owns it. The NFL does not want to put the commanders in a good spotlight or Dan Snyder in a good spotlight on his way out. They don't want to do that. So I'm just going to mentally check off the commanders. The Saints, I guess, kind of be a little boring. Although it appears, uh, Jake Hayner from the Bay Area quarterback, based on his uh his photo shoot that he did, his rookie photo shoot, his draft photo shoot, he's got some personality. Is he gonna be the starter? No, but it, it's entertaining. He could be funny. He could be fun. But uh, the Saints, I, I I don't see them being a great choice. Chicago Bears. Justin Fields, they're, they're a team that they believe can make the next step. All right, all right, they 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 might be interesting. Okay, not bad at it, not mad at it. And then the New York Jets, that's obviously the right answer. That's the one everyone wants to see. The only problem, and it, the Jets are Robert Sala and their owner of kind of avoided answering the question when asked about it. They haven't said, yeah, we'd love to do it. And there was a uh, Justin Hardy Sr. He's like, man, y'all can give hard knocks to another team. We're trying to focus and win. That's a distraction. I get it. They have Super Bowl aspirations because they brought in Aaron Rodgers. But you're going to tell me if the NFL gets to choose and they don't care what the teams say that they're not going to pick the Jets? Come on. I would, even if they hadn't traded for Aaron Rodgers, I would have considered picking the Jets. They're a team that's right on the cusp of getting good, and now you had Aaron Rodgers, and they might have already passed that cusp of being good. So there's that. I'm so sorry. I just got a I just got a text message from my friend. I'll get I'll get back to Hard Knocks in a second. It cracks me up. Uh, My friend's a big Laker fan, and uh, for those of you who don't know, Taylor Swift uh, was reportedly dating Matt Healy from the 1985. They recently broke up, and my friend just sent me a link saying Taylor Swift was uh, seen with Austin Reeves post-breakup in Arkansas, and he just called her a cougar. Taylor Swift's only two years older than us. (laughs) But I guess, I guess if the person you're dating is not even 10 years. Matt, Austin Reeves has to be at least 25. I guess seven years makes you a cougar. Oh, I'm so sorry. I completely got sidetracked. I, I, I sometimes have a short attention span. <laughs> I guess just like uh, my guest Gracie Kim earlier. Oh, I've never heard Taylor Swift get called a cougar before, and I... <sighs> It's just so great. It's funny. It's it's not like comical, like, oh, that's so accurate. Oh, in T-Switch. No, it's just I've never heard it before, and it's a funny sentence to me. Okay. So we talked about the Jets, talked about the Commanders, talked about the Bears, talked about the Saints. Now, it's possible that none of these teams have to be on hard knocks because I didn't know this, but I learned if a team volunteers, whoever's there is off the hook. What are you talking about, Dominic? A team volunteers. Back in 2020 or 2021, I, I lost the year. But anyway, the Jets and the uh, the Jets, the Chargers and the Rams did it together. They they volunteered like, hey, we'll do it. They were technically exempt, but they both decided, oh, yeah, yeah, we'll do it. Move to L.A. It was 2020. They weren't on the list of eligible teams at the time, but they volunteered. So it's not out of the realm of possibility that all of these teams get out of it. It's like jury duty. We don't want to do it. But technically, if we get picked to do it, there's nothing we can do about it. It's actually exactly like jury duty. And based on some of the tweets from the players, they really... Really don't want to do hard knocks. And I understand how it could be a distraction having film cameras and, and, you know, I'm sure they're going to want interviews and confessional style interviews and all that stuff. I get it. Still funny to me, though. And now I'm never going to look at hard knocks any other way other than the fact that it's basically jury duty. Shout out to this article I'm looking at that includes some of the player tweets because Hard Knocks is jury duty. Hey, have you been watching Football Jury Duty lately on Max? What? What are you talking about, Dom? Yeah, you know, Jury Duty. Football Jury Duty. I don't understand what it is you're talking about. What is Football Jury Duty? Is that a new reality show? Is it something about fantasy football? No, it's called Hard Knocks. Hard knocks. What are you talking about? Jury duty? They don't want to do it, but they have to do it because the NFL made them do it. Son of a gun! You've got a point. All right, love my rambling. I want it to be the Jets. Am I going to watch it? I'm still not going to watch it, but I, I want it to be the Jets. Because Aaron Rodgers is Aaron Rodgers, and I would love to have to see, see him have to be on Hard Knocks. All right, JD Sharper for wagering, talking baseball on the other side. I'm Dominic Jimenez. This is Total Lighting Sports.
1: 30-day money-back guarantee, 800-867-6917, 800-867-6917, 800-867-6917, that's 800-867-6917.
0: President Biden recently released a massive $6 trillion budget, the largest budget in U.S. history, and guess who pays the bill? That's right, you, the American taxpayer. American citizens and business owners will be paying more taxes. That's a fact. And if you owe back taxes, they will be coming after you to collect payments. In fact, President Biden also hired thousands more IRS agents to go after you.
1: That's eight hundred nine four nine zero zero thirty nine. Paid for by the tax helpline.
5: Now, more of titillating sports with guest host Dominic Jimenez.
2: Welcome back to the show. It is now time to welcome in our good pal JD Sharp of Pro Wagering and ProWagering.com and talk a little bit of baseball, shall we? And JD, uh, prior to having you on the show yesterday, I was talking about uh, the Cincinnati Reds and their infield with Matt McLean and Jonathan India, and I was talking about the um, athletic freak that is Ellie De La Cruz. And how yeah, it should only be a matter of time. Well, a matter of time was 24 hours. Uh, the Cincinnati Reds have called up Ellie Dela Cruz, shortstop. He's probably going to be in the lineup uh, tonight. I don't know why they why he wouldn't be. Uh, he hit two ninety eight with a OPS of 1,000 in uh, AAA with 12 home runs in 38 games. Uh, JD, I know you love your prospects. How are you feeling about Ellie, Ellie Dela Cruz in Cincinnati?
19: Yeah, Ailey Dealer-Cruz, one of the best prospects I've ever seen. Um, he hits the ball. I think he's had 15 or 20 hits this year that have gone off the bat 115 miles an hour. He ends games with home runs. He On standard singles, if he's on first base, he can score. He steals bases. He had 47 steals last year and 28 home runs. Uh, he's only 21 years old, 6'5", 220. Looks like a Aaron Judge. Uh, type of athlete actually, he doesn't have the you know the the massive. So he's still big, but he doesn't have that massive six seven two eighty size. But he's faster. He may have a more violent swing. You know, Judge Judge doesn't he doesn't swing that hard, but he just got he's you know he's got that huge frame and he's got a really really level swing and he's got very very powerful legs obviously. So he he turns on the ball and he's able to take pretty much anything out. Whereas De La Cruz, he swings really aggressively, kind of like a Ronald Acuña or even like a Wander Franco. So. Yeah, I think this, was a, this is a long time coming. I think they should have done this earlier, actually. But, uh, you know, McClain's playing well, he, although he's only like 5'9", 180 shortstop, but he's got a couple of home runs. He's hitting like 330 or so. They had Andrew Abbott last night, who pitched really well for them, who was dominating AAA before he got called up. So, yeah, and India's playing good. The, the Spencer Steer's got pretty, pretty decent stats, I think. He's probably in consideration for the NL Rookie of the Year at this point. But, yeah, Ellie De La Cruz... I would say one of the most impressive just general athletes that has entered Major League Baseball probably since probably since Aaron Judge. He's he's in that Aaron Judge, O'Neill Cruz type of conversation, but I hope hopefully he's got a a little bit more longevity than than Cruz does cuz Cruz is pretty injury prone.
2: And you mentioned Aaron Judge before we go back to the Reds. I want to ask you about Aaron Judge. So we know what he did last year, sets the AL record for home runs. Did you ever imagine JD that he could take his numbers from last year and through June fifth, we'll call it through yesterday's games, June fifth, that he'd be putting up even better or comparable numbers to what he did last year. Did did you see that coming at all? I did.
19: Yeah, yeah. And no, I mean he's just he's getting better every year. You know, he was he was relatively raw. He was a dominant tight end. He was a dominant baseball player, obviously. He was a really good athlete coming out of high school, but his first couple of years yes he hit the ball very hard but he, he couldn't hit a curveball That was pretty well documented I think now he's learning to hit the curveball so again he still got that power he's only 30 years old so he's still got you know, now you know you know 30 is a new 20 26 27 these guys are still playing at a very high level at 35 to 37 so yeah I think that judge he, he may actually have his best baseball ahead of him still which is hard to believe i mean he's, it's possible this guy could hit 70 bombs in a year I think I think he's going to be a 50 to, or at least at least a 45 to Probably fifty-five home run a year guy for quite some time, but so is Pete Alonso. I mean, look at Pete Alonso; he's got twenty-one bombs. He hit one a couple of days ago, so he's on pace for sixty as well. So, yeah, I mean, he's just again, he's he's got the size, he has the the, the plate discipline now, and he's just getting older and he's playing more. So, yeah, I think, I think that Judge is going to be going to going to be one of those guys that probably. Uh, it, it, it's possible, although he is again, he is like he is thirty, so he's not that young. But it's possible that he he could actually contend for for the home run record eventually.
2: Bold statement from JD Sharper pro wagering there about Aaron Judge's future and how he might be the home run king one day. Uh, about the Reds, I want to wrap up. You mentioned there that that's a great infield in terms of youth and uh, early production in their careers. They've got some uh, pitching prospects. You mentioned Abbott in his debut. He gave up one hit in six innings. That's always a good start. They've got a decent outfield with guys like uh, Fraley out there. The Reds in the next few years, given the current state of the NL Central, are the Reds a team that, if things pan out with these prospects, could look to dominate that division for the next 10 years?
19: Yeah, they could. I mean, if if, if LA is everything that they, that they think he's going to be steer and the, the pitching that they've got yeah they they definitely could could make some, some and then hunter green let's not keep in mind and let's not forget that hunter green and nick Ladolo, those are top mm-hmm. three top five guys senzel was a top 10 pick If Hype green and lodolo can although i really think that these rules are just really hurting pitchers there's some pitchers that just just can't figure it out like alec Manoa. you know he had six what he gave seven runs yesterday and one innings pitched I and mean, he, yeah. he was pretty he was definitely dominant uh last year or the year before so this this sped up pitch clock is, is hurting somebody like him for whatever reason. I don't know what there was something that he did in his cadence that was different, but yeah, if these if these pitchers, they can get some more pitchers that can can figure out because their bullpen's not that bad. They're actually bottom, they're actually top ten, believe it or not, bullpen wise. But yeah, if, if Ellie plays well, and he and you getting he's twenty one, he just turned twenty one, so he's got a long time left uh, in the league, most likely. And then you know Green Lodolo, they, they they pick up pick up some more pitching. Absolutely, they they could certainly be. I don't know about Dominate, but they could definitely be a consistent contender in that division.
2: You mentioned the pitch clock and Alec Manoa. It's where I was going to go next before you even mentioned it. And (laughs) I think of, because I know how hot you've been on this show, both with myself and with Rick, and you've touted Alec Manoa. And I was right there with you, and boy, does he stink this year. Uh, Another guy who's been really bad that we've seen be very good and has literally won a Cy Young is uh, Sandy Alcantara with the Marlins. So, yes, they're adjusting to this pitch clock. This is year one of it. From what you've seen, is this something that they'll be able to retool the way that they approach pitching and they'll get back to the levels of success that we're used to? Or do you think the pitch clock is something that is legitimately going to completely hamper these guys and the way that they perform moving forward?
19: I think it's going to – because a lot of these guys have been doing the same thing for a long, long time. And you know, La Contra's got dominant stuff. I'm not sure it's going gonna, it's, it's gonna to hurt him as, as much. But also, it allows these pitters to time the pitches, too. Let's keep that in mind. They know when the pitch is coming. And they've got an idea of, it's you know, this guy's got a great slider, a great changeup, a bad fastball, what pitch. I mean, so it, it actually is a huge advantage to the hitter because they're keenly aware of when, that, of, of, of when that's coming. Um, and so, yeah, I, I think that, that there should be a happy medium probably that they should figure out that there's maybe not as long as it was, but not as short as it is now, somewhere in the middle. That should help. But, no, I think the guys that are getting lit up this year, I don't see that changing because they only have they only have their abilities, right? Like Alcon, like, and Manoa can't throw more than 93. That's pretty much confirmed at this point. So if they have him, if if the batters have him figured out, and for whatever reason he's not getting enough time in between pitches to rest his arm, and he can't locate the pitches where he wants to or finish his pitches. Uh, the same thing goes for Alcantara, and even like a guy like a Dylan Sisu who has pitched a little better lately, but he gets rocked, he gets rocked as well too so so yeah, i think I think that this pitch clock as it is right now is going to be a permanent hamper, uh, or at least definitely yeah, we'll call it a hamper for for the guys that are having a problem with it right now. if they don't have that super dominant stuff like Alcantara does the, the argument is, okay, maybe Alcantara. Only has that dominant stuff when he's got a minute and a half between pitches, and set up you know, fifteen seconds or twenty seconds again, because there's a, there's a fatigue level involved. And I think they're going to see, I think we're going to see a bunch of Tommy Johns as well, because a lot of these guys that are just flamethrowers, like a Ben Joyce or even like a Shane McClanahan, all it takes is you speed that up, and too many pitches in one inning in between, you know, and instead of over the course of twenty or we'll call it twelve minutes, it's like seven or eight minutes do that 50 times or you know, 20, 20, 30 times a season, I would argue that that stress on the tendon is even stronger than it was before. So, yeah, I think, I think that the pitch block as it is right now will, will most likely be moved further back, but it's just not as far as it was. I think that's the right move.
2: That's frightening to think that there may be more Tommy John coming on the way because there's, it's seemingly losing multiple guys to that every year. Uh, we got right. a couple, couple minutes left, J.D., and I want to talk about Sandy Alcantara's teammate. And it's very, and we're we're in June, so jury's still out. But it's very rare when a, basically a one-for-one trade works out for both teams. And Pablo Lopez for Luis Arias has been gangbusters for both teams. Pablo Lopez is continuing to pitch like a, a solid two, maybe even an ace for Minnesota. But Luis Arias, who won the AL batting title last year, is at 399 and I'm not talking about his on base he's hitting 399 which is the 10th highest through a team's first 61 games since 1941 which was the year Ted Williams hit 406 and he's also the last player to hit 400 in a full season now I know he's never going to get the the notoriety because he was in Minnesota and now he plays for the Marlins but just uh what do you love about L- Luis Arias' game and do you think he can hit 400
19: I, you know, honestly, I, I don't know. I, 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 obviously, he's he's a very, very strong contact hitter. I like the fact that he's really good. A lot, you know, t- Tony Gwynn didn't strike out very much, got on base all the time, but he wasn't exactly a demon. And in, in, you know, as far as running scor runners in scoring position, Arias is actually really good when people are on base because he's got 33 RBIs this year. And let's and let's keep in mind that there's not exactly a lot of talent around him. And the nine and the eight; these guys are guys that average that have maybe six or eight RBIs on the entire season. Uh, Jorge Soler's got like 17 bombs, and Brian De La Cruz has got, I guess, reasonable stats. Brian Anderson's their, their, their big RBI guy outside of uh, um, Arias. but yeah, no, I, I'm he's he's impressive. And you, you can't, you can't really, the guy's he's only 26 years old. He's about 5'11", 180. He's got a little bit of speed as well. But I mean, yeah, 399, he hit three, I think was three for four last night. He was like five for five three days ago, had four or five RBIs in that game. The Marlins are winning the games that he's pitching, or that, that, he's, that he's hitting really well in as well. So uh, I think it's possible. I think it's possible that it could happen. I'd really, I'd really like to see him, though, on a team that has legitimate talent around him. Because the fact that he's doing this for the Marlins, it's going to be tough to sustain this because people are just going to start walking him. They're not going to pitch to him, and why would they? You know, he's a leadoff guy. It's just so we'll 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 see what happens. But yeah, for the time being, he's he's definitely on. He's on pace to have one of the best uh, one of the best batting averages, you know, in nearly a century.
2: I completely agree. As a Giants fan, I've seen what happens when a guy is too good. He just gets walked a lot, like Barry. Blunt. Exactly. Uh, we're spe- we've been speaking with JD Sharp, pro wagering, and pro talking baseball. JD, thanks as always.
19: Hey, thanks a lot,
2: Tom. All right, take care. Up next after the break, Pro Bowler Kyle Troop makes his return to the show. He'll be part of the PBA Tour Finals. I'm Dominic Jimenez. This is Sports Byline USA.
3: Remember in the beginning when you first started to build a life for you and your family? You never imagined it would come to this. Instead of living your dreams, you're living with debt. In fact, it's smothering you call the debt helpline now
1: 800-943-2153 800-943-2153 800-943-2153 that's 800-943-2153
13: if you're moving to another state you're getting a fresh start in a brand new town And when you choose a moving company to help get your valuable possessions to that new home of yours, you want somebody that's going to take care of your things like you would. That's why you need to call Colonial Van Lines. They're America's number one moving company for a reason because they'll take care of your things like they would their possessions. They'll use caution so nothing gets damaged and they won't treat you like a number, they'll treat you like a friend.
15: This is Ron Barr. Father's Day was always special for me and my dad. We'd go to a ball game, go fishing, or maybe even take a trip. There were things that made Father's Day unique and unforgettable for us. I've got a suggestion that will make it the same way for you and your dad. Give him the Omaha Steaks. Dads One steaks package. I can't think of a better way to celebrate his day than barbecuing with your dad. As a special to our listeners, when you go to OmahaSteaks.com and order the Dad's Want Steaks package, type in sports and get $30 off. I've tasted all the great products from Omaha Steaks, and I guarantee you'll like it, and so will your dad. Give him more than just a gift. Send him an experience he can share with you. Go to OmahaSteaks.com and order the Dad's Want Steaks package today. You'll get 16 entrees and 4 desserts, plus 8 free Omaha Steaks burgers with your order. It'll be a Father's Day your dad and you will always remember. That's OmahaSteaks.com, keyword sports.
5: Now, more of titillating sports with guest host Dominic Jimenez. All right,
2: welcome back into the show. Dominic Jimenez here on the Sports Byline USA Broadcast Network. As you know, we've talked to a couple of them in the last couple of days. Big fan of the bowling and the Pro Bowling Association, the PBA. Very excited now to welcome back to the show, I think for visit number five, that is the Afrofish himself, Kyle Troop, 2021 PBA Player of the Year. He's got nine titles in a major, and he'll be competing in the PBA Tour Finals Friday, June 23rd to Sunday, June 25th, just south of Seattle in Arlington, Washington. Kyle is one of the top eight players in terms of points over the last two seasons. He'll be joined by E.J. Tackett, Anthony Simonson, Jason Belmonte, Dom Barrett, Jacob Buttriff, Chris Prather, and Packy Hanrahan. And the Pro-Am will be on Thursday and practice and meet and greet on Friday, position round on Saturday, and the stepladder finals on Sunday. And tickets are available at PBA dot com. Kyle, first off, welcome back to the show. And with the PBA Tour Finals, what does it mean to you to to kind of be validated that you've been one of the top eight bowlers over the last two seasons, and that you get to participate in a pretty exclusive event once again?
20: Uh, you know, the Tour Finals is an exciting event because one, you know, like you said, the top eight in points for two years, uh, and you know, having my massive year in 2021 it kind of gave me a little cushion in last year but you know it showed me that through my struggles of last year and this year you know not winning a title uh still to hang in there and you know be in the top eight in points just barely you know uh luckily for me Jacob Butcher beat Bill O'Neill in the Players Championship semifinals so that got me in uh so you know it's kind of like a a last chance you know for me I guess a little bit but also a second chance because you know as good as Bill was bowling I expected to get knocked out of the top eight, uh, and, and uh, so to have that opportunity to go back there, up in Arlington, Washington, I mean, the crowd was amazing last year, uh, you know, I'm a big big uh, crowd fan guy, mm-hmm. uh, and I really fuel off of that, I bowled a 300 game there last year, and caught a lot of bad breaks to lose to Belmo, so, uh, you know, it's a little bit of redemption, but also, you know, a reminder that, you know, I struggled a little bit this year, you know, only made the first show, uh, and then another major show, but, no wins, uh, but it was kind of a friendly reminder, like, "Hey, you know, keep your head down, keep working, because uh, it's still showing to prove to pay off."
2: Now, despite the the struggles in terms of not winning a title over the last season, and in you, your aforementioned struggles a little bit last year, it, are you still able to enjoy the kind of run that you've been on, including twenty twenty one? And again, while you may not have may not be winning a bunch of titles at the moment, you're still performing and placing and doing well enough to be in the top eight in terms of points. Is that something where you're able to take a moment uh, away from the frustration of not winning to be like, hey, I'm still bowling really well. I'm, I'm in the top eight. I'm doing great. This is some of the best bowling of my life. Or is it a constant state of trying to adjust and tweak your game to get that win?
20: Oh, you know, it's it's a little bit easier now after we've been off the tour for, you know, three or four weeks, um, you know, to kind of reflect on it a little bit. But, you know, um, my roommate, Jesper Svensson, you know, he finished 10th in the point race for two years. And, you know, we've kind of been in the same boat. So, uh, you know, we do pick each other up a little bit after some bad weeks because, you know, I finished second in the US Open and then flagged a couple cuts in a row after that. So, you know, a uh, little bit of disappointment, but. At the end of the day, yeah, I mean, I love what I do. You know, I love what I do for a living. I don't really feel like I work a day in my life. You know, uh, so I always kind of remember that. You know, I'm still making good money, uh, bowling well. So, you know, if I kind of just keep that in mind uh, on top of the hard work, you know, the wins will come. And, you know, to get this shot at the tour finals, I feel like when I get on TV, I can win no matter what, even if I'm a five seed and, you know, with this, uh, you know, I have a chance to be the one seed in my stepladder, but I really don't care what seed I end up being. I'm on TV again, and with how I performed through the back half of the year, you know, I kind of knew I wasn't making a TV show. So uh, I'm hungry and ready, that's for sure.
2: Is it ever a weird dynamic for you? You mentioned your roommate and friend, uh, yes, we He finished 10th. You guys were both gunning for one of those last spots, essentially. Is it ever a weird dynamic where – you know, for X amount of time, given the week, you guys are fierce. You guys can be fierce rivals, and then for another portion, here that you're still friends. You're there trying to help each other out and kind of push each other through into to improve. Is that ever a weird dynamic going from friend to fierce competitor to friend to helping him succeed, even though it may be at a detriment to you a little bit? Does that ever get weird?
20: Uh, not really, uh, and I, I've thought about that because we kind of see that with certain roommates on tour in the past and. You know, to me, if he's my friend, I want to see him succeed, whether he's beating me or, you know, not, you know, so at the end of the day it's never weird for us. Uh we bowled sixty games at the World Championship and it came down to the last frame and we were on the same pair and he struck. I finished thirteenth, he made match play. And uh I couldn't have been happier. You know, so like situations like that, when you have true friends and out on the PBA tour, um, it just makes it easier for us to bowl and compete because we know no matter what, you know, we've got each other's back. Uh, I bowl bad, you know, there was several tournaments this year. He made the match play finals. I'm at the bowl watching him, you know, there's not a whole lot of roommates to really do that. Um, but you know, we're true friends. So that's kind of what friends are for, got each other's back. And, you know, I feel like uh, that's why we've both been very successful the last three years.
2: We're speaking with pro bowler Kyle Troop. He'll be participating in the PBA Tour Finals Friday, June 23rd to Sunday, June 25th in Arlington, Washington. And he is one of the top eight in points over the last two seasons, which is why he gets to bowl in the Tour Finals. I I saw that you recently went golfing, and I know you're one of many pro bowlers that uh, enjoy a, a round of golf. What is it about golf that is so refreshing and kind of provides a little bit of a reset and an escape for you as a bowler?
20: Uh, well, you know, now with Liv joining back with the PGA, that gives me hope. I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, you know, to, to get to, you know, just de-stress, get out there, and it's, it's a sport I'm not great at either. So it can be a little frustrating at times, but honestly it kind of helps me, you know, in a sense, keep my mental game composed even whenever it comes to bowling, you know, because I'm out there not very good at the game, and i got to remember, you know, just – one swing at a time, you know, be like a goldfish. I've been watching Ted Lasso, uh, but it's it's nice to just get out, enjoy the weather. Obviously, we're cooped up in bowling centers all the time, which normally can be quite hot with 200 people in there watching and, and uh, the heat of competition. So it, it's a nice refresher, and it gives me something to kind of work on in the summer. You know, I'm looking forward to getting a few golf lessons when I'm not bowling and uh, hopefully, you know, be able to maybe someday keep up with EJ Tackett because he may join that live tour.
2: <laughs> <laughs> oh, see, I actually got a chance to speak with EJ yesterday and I wish it had been today or tomorrow too. Yeah. The timing he's of he's it. Um, it. Uh, you've kind of been the face of uh, a, a couple of different events and tournaments. And I think if you were to have any bowling fan ask who one of their favorites is, you're, Going to be high up on that list of any type of poll. So for you, what what is it like? Is it something that you relish? Is it something you're proud of? A little bit of both. You you don't necessarily you you, feel, you run from it a little bit. What is it like being the one of the faces of the pro bowling tour and being able to attach your name to other bowling events?
20: You know, uh, it, it's very humbling. You know that I've been able to, like you said, I've been in the Macy's Day Parade. I threw a first pitch out at the White Sox. Got to work some NASCAR events. Uh, you know, it's very humbling, but also I feel like it's part of my duty. If I'm going to be one of the faces of the sport, you know, I've got to keep just being me, which is, you know, give back to the fans. Without fans, we don't have bowling. Uh, just being entertaining, you know, all that comes natural to me. So I'm excited for that opportunity. You know, I don't really care if I'm popular or not. You know, happens to be I have an afro. You know, people recognize me outside of the bowling center all the time. Uh, and that just reminds me, that tells me people are watching bowling, and that's what we want as bowlers. We want more eyes on the sport so we can, you know, grow it into more households and get more sponsors and more money and have a live bowling tour want to be started up that we're such a great organization. Uh, you know, so it's it it's very humbling, very exciting, and it does, you know, I guess if I stop and think about it, I guess I am kind of doing the right thing. You know, winning the uh, Dick Weber Ambassadorship Award was – Something I never dreamed of, and I won that uh, at the end of 2021, and that kind of gave me a different respect of you know myself and kind of what I'm supposed to do. Yeah, I'm going to be trying to win titles and everything, but it's also about giving back to the sport. You know, being entertaining; these people are paying to watch us bowl, and uh, so the least I can do is put on a show for them and you know make sure they want to come back and see it again.
2: You've mentioned, and anybody who's watched bowling know your knows your not dependent, but you love it when a crowd is is uh, excited and raucous. We've seen you in the PBA League at Bayside Bowl, and you talked about the importance of the fans and being able to connect. But you've also been doing clinics, and you're on Cameo. What does that mean to you to be able to uh, interact and give back to the fans in, even more directly than just... Hey, I hear you guys chanting for me. Let's hear some more noise. What is it like having a little bit of more of a, a personal touch when you connect with fans uh, through the clinics and Cameo?
20: I think that's, uh, you know, on the clinic part of it, that's the beautiful part of our sport is that you can be very – you can get close and personal with these top professionals that choose to do clinics. And I have to shout out Sean Rash, uh Hall mm-hmm. of Fame bowler. You know, he does more clinics than anybody in our sport by a long shot. And I worked with him several times and, uh, you know, just learning from him as well, you know, that it's not just about winning, you know, give back to the game. Uh, the future is the youth, you know, so anytime we can do youth clinics and we do adult clinics as well. Uh, it's just great to be at the level to have a lot of knowledge and be able to improve people's games. I spent a week in Tokyo two weeks ago for the storm fair we were coaching with translators and it was just amazing. These people are like, freaking out after you tell them the smallest thing and it helps their game because they love the game. They do it three, four days a week, and now we just change their life pretty much because now they have more enjoyment out of it. They're knocking down more pins, getting higher scores, and uh, that just makes you feel good, especially after a couple bad weeks of bowling. You know, these people, we walk in and we feel like gods to them. You know, they're looking up to us, ready for us to tell them anything, and they're very willing and open to embrace suggestions and changes to their game which can be tough uh you know And cameos that's a you know i guess a more current thing that you know a lot of bowlers didn't have back in the day and and uh i enjoy doing that you know sending birthday videos or i meet people at tournaments like you sent my son a cameo last year and then i meet him and he's you know another foot taller than i've seen in the video that they sent and uh you know it's just all just kind of makes me enjoy the game a lot more than i did when i was a little younger for different reasons because you know, making money and winning titles is great, but, I mean, money don't last forever. So uh, being able to, you know, embrace other people, um, not embrace, uh, you know, motivate people and want them to go bowling uh, and being able to help them is, is just very humbling. It has a warm, warm space in my heart, honestly.
2: Awesome, man. We, we got about one minute left, so one last question for you. We, we know how when there's a generational change in a sport, the the blowback can just be absurd you think about golf when tiger showed up he was a little flashy he wore the red look at bowling when belmo started with two two hands and that's that's still a, a debate raging on um for you with the the hair the afro the colorful outfits did you ever get any pushback like hey you're not good for bowling what you need to tone it down dude
20: uh not really too much thankfully because my father guppy troop wore the wild pants and everything in the 80s and i mean that was a true tradition so that's kind of why i started doing it and then realized you know i can express my personality and my outfits a little bit and yeah there's a few when i first came out on tour like oh here comes guppy son just dressing up crazy like him he's not that good but you know i stayed out there you know i can handle some punches and uh just kind of learned along the way and now more of a trendsetter i think than uh you know, any any negative feedback.
2: Very cool, and definitely setting trends is my guest, Kyle Troop, the 2021 Chris Schenkel PBA Player of the Year. He'll be competing in the PBA Tour Finals Friday, June 23rd to Sunday, June 25th in Arlington, Washington. He's one of the top eight bowlers by points over the last two seasons, and he'll competing, be competing against EJ Tackett, Anthony Simonson, Jason Belmonte, Dom Barrett, Jacob Buttreff, Chris Prather and Packy Hanrahan. And uh, there's a Pro-Am on Thursday and a practice meet and greet on Friday before they get into the nitty-gritty of the competition on the Saturday and Sunday. Tickets are available if you're in the area at PBA.com. Kyle, always a pleasure getting to chat with you. Thanks so much for taking some time and joining me today. We pre- I appreciate it. Thank you, sir. All right, Kyle Troop, PBA, the Afrofish himself. I'm Dominic Jimenez. This is Tittle Lightning Sports.
18: Let's help you next. Take advantage of the opportunity to get started today. Call 1-800-356-7308.
15: That's 1-800-356-7308. Again, 1-800-356-7308.
5: You're listening to Dominic Jimenez on Sports Byline USA.
2: All right, we're going to wrap up this hour with some tennis. French Open, a doubles team got disqualified after accidentally hitting a ball girl during their third round match. It was uh, between points. And an errant shot from Miyu Kato hit a ball girl in the neck. The ball was just kind of in front of Kato and she kind of half-heartedly swiped at it and knocked it into her opponent's half. But she hit a ball girl in the neck, which led to the disqualification of Kato and her teammate, Aldila Sutgiadi. I have never heard of something like this happening. But it, it violated a conduct rule for players... And the ball girl was sobbing. I felt bad. She was in considerable pain and definitely shaken up. It was a total accident, but, hey, you know, things happen, and when you accidentally hit somebody, you gone! So Miyukato and her teammate Aldila Sujiati were kicked out, essentially, uh, from the third round of the doubles tournament at the French Open. All right, I'm Dominic Jimenez. we got more sports talk tomorrow here on the Sports Byline USA Broadcast Network. Coming up next, Wrestling Observer Live with Brian Alvarez and Mike Sempervivi.
3: Yeah, man, I hope we don't
20: have
5: brain damage. (laughs) Great way to end the show.